Whereas when you see the politician look in the camera, they could have never heard of something in their life and this thing happens where mm-hmm. their body just transforms and suddenly the twinkle goes in their eye and they go, let me tell you, like like William Jefferson Clinton was the best at this. He could look you in the eyes and have no f-ing idea what he was talking about. But that politician came on and be like, let me tell you something. I really believe in this process right here. I have read every single document as it is pertaining to this law. Give me the name of the law again. Yeah, I know it inside. <laughs> I have slept with this. In fact, me and Chelsea were up last night thinking about this and talking about how it's going to change the world. And I'm leaving office in six years, but this is going to live beyond me. And everyone's like, for some reason, he sucked you in every time because he was the best. Trump, you know it's just some old fart who's like, you know what I think? He goes off. It's another example, yet again, that there are are broader political systems that, that govern this country that don't understand the common American. All right, let's transition this to the to the big boy issue, the the one we haven't really touched on yet. Got a little um little election going on on November third. No, I don't know. I just heard about it. I think yeah, uh, I think yeah. something's happening that day. Like people are gonna vote and shit. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What what's what's your thought right now? We look and let me preface that because that is a loaded question. But we we've touched on. The fact that things are extremely polarized, we've touched on that we are literally drawing political lines down health issues and and Mm -hmm. down the pandemic and down as far down the gutter as you can. It has not changed the fact that once again, and again, my perspective here, and I think based on what you've been saying and what we talked about off the podcast, you're in a very similar boat as me, which is we find some things that we're like, yeah, I get behind that with with each side. And then we find a lot of things where we look at both of them and say, no, 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 no. The, yeah. the answer's in the middle of you guys and you got to stop fucking yelling at each other. Yeah. What's I, What has been your vibe? And don't let me put words in your mouth. Say whatever, say whatever you, you really feel about it. No, look, I mean, I've, I mean, I think, I think you've nailed it. I mean, I think I wouldn't say that, like, so th- this is the way that I see the election, right? You You have, you have Trump and then you have the guy who's not Trump. And and that's the platform that Joe Biden is running on. He's running on the I am not Trump platform. And what you get as a consequence of that is on both sides, you get sort of very little substantive um, change in terms of any positioning, really. I think... When when I look at it's at at sort of the the recent um, stuff that's been happening with the, in the election, the the recent things that that Biden has been saying, I think he's trying more now to show people I'm not just not Trump. I'm also this guy Joe Biden, and here's why my platform is different. But it's almost a little bit too little, too late to come off as substantive. And so I'll bring up an example of this. I think last night in the debate, um, by the way, for, for people watching this later, it's the third debate, the final yep, one. Yep. Um, I think it was the first time that we saw Joe Biden detach himself from the Obama administration on the position of immigration. And I, and I think it was the first time that I truly said to myself, Oh, wow. Like, 
Biden is now saying that he would have done if if he was in Obama's seat, he wouldn't have done the mass deportations. He wouldn't he would have had a more liberal stance mm-hmm. on immigration and he would have done something different. Right. And that was actually a bit of a refreshing thing to see from from Biden when Trump's when when Trump takes a bit of a hard line approach on immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that I a, think, is that a very main issue for you? I wouldn't say it's a main issue for me, but I think it was the first time where I, I, I mean, it is in the context of I would prefer a policy that is more aligned with what Biden is finally saying, sure, sure. Yep. which is, you know, present an opportunity for people to get a, have a path to citizenship who, who have come here uh, illegally, but not under their own control, right? You know, that kids especially, yeah. yeah. Um, to say nothing of the process is so fucked. Yeah, yeah. But I think for me, it was the first time where I finally saw something different from from Biden, because I think a lot of Biden's a lot of Biden's campaign is about this return to normalcy, and the normalcy that he's defining is the political environment pre-Trump which is to define that the Obama administration. So I think the platform that Joe is running on or has at least shown me that he's running on prior to glimpses of, of this, Oh, this guy, Joe Biden, he's an individual with different views. But, but prior to that, his, his platform was essentially, I am the Obama administration. And and that's what I'm going to. He was drafted off do. Obama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, um, and and Obama's brand has been. Yeah. There I go with that word again. I'm gonna do that every time. Every time I say someone's brand, Obama's style has been more appreciated, especially by the people who loathe Trump, who aren't like real, even like really, really liberal. It's been yeah, more yeah. appreciated after he left as a result of the polarization yeah. that's happened the last four yeah. years. And so when I, when I talk to a lot of people, and it's funny you say that, because when I talk to a lot of people who are very clearly anti-Trump and very clearly pro-Biden, um, and I'll emphasize very clearly pro-Biden, like they go out of their way to say, I want Joe Biden to be the president of the United States, which, you know, say what you will about yeah, that yeah, statement but yeah. but a lot a lot of them they are just they what they're excited about is a return to the ideology of obama and what they i th- somebody literally said this to me and i know this person's going to watch this podcast so in advance Sorry, I, I just I, don't say in, their name in advance i love you but what this guy this guy said to me that he was talking about different reforms in the electoral process that he would enact. And one of them was the elimination of term limits uh, for the presidency. I know and what I, guy you're and, speaking of. And, and you actually don't, because I don't think you know him. Really? Yeah, you don't know him. The other guy we were talking about said, we were talking about this like yeah, 10 yeah, minutes yeah. ago but or it, whatever. It was, it was said in probably a different context than yeah. that guy, which was, he basically said, I was like, why would that be good? Like, you see, I mean, Putin's been president for what, 50 years in Russia? I'm joking, but, yeah, yeah, no. you know, um, but, you know, very long. Um, like, he came back, too. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he was, he went, he became PM, he came back, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. PM, yeah. hold on. Big air quotes there. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so I was like, 
I mean, that just opens up so many avenues for corruption. Like, why would that be a good thing? And he's like, because Obama would have got elected again. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, I can't argue with, with when you're going to make statements like that, I can't like have a real conversation because it's like, I mean, like, what are you even trying to say? Like, I, I, I mean, like, the, so, so to get back to my original point there, I mean, I think a lot of people who are, are, are happy about voting for Joe Biden, they're, they're trying to get back to this Obama-style government. Um, but I mean, I think, I think we need some different things. Um, and, and so I struggle. I struggle because on the one end, I'm not a big Trump fan. Mm-hmm. And on can the, you can you give some and and seriously like I I just want to know so people say because yeah. we do this all the time and I do yeah. it too and I I need to be better about this like we say things where we're this or we're that and yeah. we don't qualify yeah. it so specifically you know because there's a whole bunch of reasons people could not be a yeah. Trump fan what are some of the big issues okay. for you that that you have a problem with I'm sure some of them so, are the regular ones but. so my biggest issue with Trump is his when he presents ideas and arguments, they are impossible to follow. He is not a coherent speaker. His, his, his train of thought and his stream of consciousness is so difficult to understand and follow. There's, there's no way that you can follow anything linearly what he says. And it was pretty clear last night, actually, uh, in a lot of areas, especially when he said, for example... Something about Joe Biden selling pillows and sheets. And I was like, I mean, I, I sort of understand what you're saying, but I mean, it, it, it's not a linear, coherent argument. And so, and so I, I, don't like, I don't like the way that he presents arguments. Do you think Biden, uh, I'll, I'll, just because he's yeah. running against Biden. Yeah. Because I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, and the big difference here, and I've said this, Trump is unbelievably entertaining. Yeah. I would watch this man read the phone book. I can't watch him and not laugh my ass off. Yeah. And you yeah. gotta remember there's a lot of people like that and it's like, well fuck man, it's crazy, but it's entertaining. That and they don't separate themselves from the vote for that. Yeah. But I will say that while I agree with what you just said, I mean Biden until the town hall and the final debate. He yeah. couldn't speak. I don't know what like seriously, I don't know what they put him on, but the guy couldn't coherently put together a sentence he puts a lid on everything every day too and i just don't th this is what pisses me off so much trump yeah. was the, one of the most beatable incumbent presidents yeah. in the his and we don't know you know we're recording this when the election's not over so maybe biden will win but he is one of the most beatable incumbent presidents in the history of this country a living breathing moderate soul who just said a, a coherent sentence and said yeah. okay and and ran and just did a few campaign stops could beat this guy yeah. and they yeah. are the, the democratic party has chosen to run the one guy who apparently needs a nurse's help to wake up it seems like sometimes yeah what's been different is the last couple again the mm -hmm. town hall and the debate i don't know what the fuck is going on but he's yeah. been very coherent yeah i, I mean, have to give him that i look i mean as as someone who has been shitting on the guy about this from the absolute start from the primaries you know with with uh i mean i have all the videos saved of him <laughs> making like the craziest blunders and what was the one? they're hilarious. What was the one he goes? Uh, they used to rub my legs. Yeah, I yeah. Can't, and then, 
and I like that. Yeah, he's... with the kids. <laughs> it's like it's like you're just like yeah, like the 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 corn pop story. Ugh. Like the as somebody who's been ragging on this guy the entire time, I agree with you. It, it's it's disappointing. Um, but when you look at the, I mean, when, and and it it goes back to like who who is part of the political system today and like like let's have a real conversation about who was 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 running that realistically would have been better i mean i don't uh, like i don't really know that there is somebody um that would have been better and 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 potentially different like you have um you you have you know amy klobuchar who's like you know literally the same person except somewhat coherent uh but zero mass support zero popularity you have pete Buttigieg. put the popularity aside yeah to break it down but go ahead yeah you you have you have pete Buttigieg, who um i mean the guy was tooting his own horn when he won a, an election where he got he, he won one election in his life and i think he he got like eight thousand votes like the like honestly popularity is a big thing I don't know if I can necessarily, uh, you know, remove that from the equation. But that's fair. But you that's had fair. a but you had a guy in in Buttigieg who said a lot of quite strong, strongly put opinions in the beginning, and then walked back on every single one as it started to look like he had a chance, and people saw that and they said, "I don't. I think this guy's a phony." And so you had that guy. And the and the gay community, it seemed to me, really didn't like Pete Buttigieg, you know, because he, he was he was a gay candidate as well. Yeah. And sometimes you look at the identity and you say it's natural, you know, like like they they may gravitate towards him because yeah. he truly represents them. But that I mean, you go on Twitter, that did not seem to be the sentiment. Yeah, Buttigieg record also within the the black community was terrible. I did. Hear um, that. and he had almost zero minority support um and so you had you had that playing severely against him especially as the primary started to get heated um and some of that support was was frankly necessary to secure some of those early states and it's why biden had a surge if we remember you know some of the the earlier southern states after nevada he had huge amounts of black support he got the obama coalition yeah exactly quiet what was it Clyburn down in South Carolina. Yeah, I think gave so. Gave him the endorsement, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. that really set him off. Yeah, exactly. Now, the question I had, and this is a little bit of the cynic, con minimal conspiratorialist or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were 27 candidates running for this thing. Biden, I believe, lost Iowa and then yep. lost New Hampshire. No Democratic candidate has ever emerged from the primaries without having won one of those. And I think he got like fourth or fifth in New Hampshire. Yeah, and then suddenly he wins South Carolina and all these people who it's early in the process is like fucking five states in all these people who had the support Klobuchar, Buttigieg, yeah, yeah. even like even Yang, it was never going to win. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. They all dropped out at the same time. Yeah. And then they got Beto to endorse him. All these people endorsed Biden. Mm -hmm. And like now Kamala's his or Kamala, excuse yeah, me, yeah. is his running mate. And she was body bagging him on oh, the yeah. debate stage yeah it, it would it's almost like ted cruz having been if he were trump's running mate in 2016 yeah 
all this really happened and lined up behind a guy who, especially around Super Tuesday, literally couldn't complete a sentence. It was concerning. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're absolutely right to call this out because as somebody who was following this from the very beginning and and actually thought that the the Bernie surge was quite in- intriguing. Oh yeah, if I didn't um, mention Bernie, oh my god. Um, yeah. I thought I thought I mean despite the fact that I knew that this guy had no ch- no shot because they weren't going to let him win. How sad um, is that? Yeah. That like you were saying that in February. Yeah. Yeah, I was I mean I was I was saying this right when this whole thing started and I knew there was a groundswell around him because it was coming out that the grassroots campaigning that he was doing on the ground was super strong, especially in those early states. What, so, was, what was the meme? I am once again asking for your support. Yeah, yeah. Your financial support. Yeah. So yeah. I, I saw the swell coming and I was doing a, a lot of I was doing a lot of news consumption at that time because I, I wanted I wanted to almost corroborate this this thought that I had that they weren't gonna let this guy Bernie win. And what I noticed around that time the time of like the the earlier primaries was there were there was a lot of media like just pummeling of bernie mm. like they dragged this guy through the absolute mud especially in those last debates this guy couldn't get a after word COVID. in edgewise after yeah. covid yeah. yeah which no one was watching too yeah. this guy this guy would not this guy could not get a word in edgewise and actually i'm talking i'm talking um yeah, I guess it was after COVID now when those final Yeah. When those final ones started. You know what's happening. you know what's crazy though too? Because I want to inject this yeah. into your train of thought and let you run with this. Yeah. You see the fear mongering from both sides. Yeah. But if we're gonna look at the right sides and look, they're playing the game, whatever. Think of it what you think of it. What do they always say? Joe Biden's a socialist. You know, yeah, they, they yeah. immediately put that tag on and everything. And all the Democrats, they want to make you, they want to make this all socialism. And let me not even say they're wrong. Let's let's yeah, say yeah. they could be right in the long term. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't ask me if they're right or wrong there. But they do this to the same party <laughs> who has taken the only avowed socialist. In the last two elections. Yeah, and basically crucified the guy. Summarily no. pushed him to the door. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, yeah. And, 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 I mean, sorry to cut you off, but, I mean... To, Not to, at all. To that end, there's no way that this guy, Biden, is a socialist. And it's kind of he's what not. I started off with. He's not. Which is, I mean, he's just not Trump. That, that's basically it. He, Obama, he's Obama. Obama was... And listen, people like to... And sometimes I do wonder if it's a little bit, I, I hate to throw this out there because, but yeah. you have to, sometimes I do wonder if it's a little bit racially prejudiced motivated, but people love to label Obama a socialist. Yeah. Was he as much of a capitalist as Trump? Not even close. Yeah. Yeah. But Obama's entire cabinet was Goldman Sachs and Citigroup. Yeah, there's no way. The economy way. was down at, at the symbolic number of 666 on the S&P in March mm-hmm. 2009, six weeks after he was in. And frankly, whether or not he hindered some of the growth or not, the right wants to argue that, fine. But when he left office, it wasn't, it wasn't down there. Yeah. It's funny because people that don't believe this, I mean, Trump literally says it all the time. Yeah. He says... He says all the time, 
oh, Obama was the one funded by the Wall Street execs, not me. I didn't take their money. He took their money. And Joe, then and he you're says he's a it. socialist. Yeah, and exactly. You can't say both can't things say in the both. same sentence. Um, and I, I'm very inclined to think that he's not. And that, I mean, he isn't. So I do, I do think Joe's proposed tax plan is a little excessive. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. I damn well don't don't support. That's not something I support in his campaign. And I've said this, say it again, just make sure it's always above board. I'm not voting for either of these candidates. They have not and will mm-hmm. not earn my vote. That's been that has been set in stone for a long time. But and nothing's been done to change that. But yeah, it's 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 kind of a stupid argument. Yeah. It, right. Right. Especially 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 getting back to the Bernie thing when when basically after New Hampshire. Right. Because Iowa, regardless of whether or not you believe that Pete Buttigieg won or lost, Bernie really won there because why is that? He he had the he, he beat Biden. So from all accounts, Bernie sure. Bernie won. And it was it was great for his campaign. And he virtually tied Buttigieg too. So that's I mean, that's that's also I mean he was basically tied for first. Then he goes to New Hampshire and wins. And sure, I mean it's it's basically home field advantage, but by then, if you're a Bernie supporter, you're starting to look at this and you're like, oh, man, I'm, you know, maybe there's a chance here. Yeah. And if you're, and they if, were, man. Yeah. They were. Yeah. And people were getting riled up, and the ground game was getting stronger than ever, and then all of a sudden, the the last card was played by the party, which was. We get at at the exact same time, we get all of our potential mainstream candidates who who might want a cabinet position or a VP spot. We get them all to drop out and throw their support behind Biden. We then get all of the mainstream news outlets to start pushing Biden. And we have this all happen at the same exact time. And when this happens, combined with endorsements from key people in these next states, Mm We're going to completely flip the narrative. And they and it worked. I mean, they, they had it down to a T. And I'm like you. I knew it was going to yeah. when 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 they're like, oh, my God, he's going to win. He just yeah. won New Hampshire. He basically won Iowa. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he'll be done. And then the and then the narrative switched. And from there, it was basically over. And I think I think that was I think they knew that they needed to do it then. I think if they let it go on too long. It would have been too late, and I don't think that they would have been able to stop Bernie at Super Tuesday, because I think that that was the the backup. Plan. That was totally yeah. That was the plan B. Was oh yeah, we can just even if Bernie like, even if Bernie gets really close to winning out, we can just stop him during Super Tuesday and you know rig the delegates. You know, they had more super delegates that were, you know, mainstream leaning than him. But, I mean, it worked, and it worked well. And there, there is data to support this, actually. And it would be, I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you. But when you look at the data that shows how many Democrats, and when I say Democrats, I mean individuals who are affiliated with the Democratic Party. I don't mean politicians. Mm-hmm. When you look at how many of them believe what they see on the news media. And this this was a this was a graphic that came out around the time 
um, based on based on data from I think the the primary, it said that around sixty to seventy percent of mainstream Democrats believed what they saw from mainstream media outlets. So that's CNN, MSNBC. Um, you know, believed as a broad term in that way. Yeah, yeah, just in general. Yeah, okay. took took with less skepticism that, that, than you would expect. Okay. When you looked at Republicans who did the same, down, five <laughs> down in the down in the fifteen to twenty percent range. That's high. That's but, higher than I would yeah, have thought. But but I mean that goes to show you that they had the data behind this mm-hmm. to be able to prove that it was going to work. This is the best argument I've heard about this. Yeah. I mean, and I'll send you the graphic because it, Please it, it's do, real I, and it exists. I want to put that in the, again, um, like whenever we're talking about this stuff, we pick the best sources we can, but I want to put it out there so that people can check it themselves as well. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, and that. so it was almost, uh, it was almost uh, probabilistic that, that this was the best outcome for them in order to stop Bernie from becoming the nominee. Because they had the data behind them that, that they knew that people would believe them if they slandered him on TV, which they started doing every single day after he started winning states. And before that, too. But, but they started going hard. Really hard. Here's the 500-pound the elephant in the room that I don't hear people talk about very often. I'll give – I think one guy who did talk about it, Dr. Steven Pinker – well, I've read a lot of his work out, out of Harvard. He's a uh, one of the preeminent psychologists in the world. And he writes – he's particularly interested in the issue of things are better than we make them seem – than we make them out to be. Yep. And he backs it with empirical data, which mm-hmm. is a pragmatic way to look at it. I love reading his stuff. His, his latest book, Enlightenment Now, I've talked about that on podcasts before, mm-hmm. Better Angels of Our Nature from 2011. These are amazing works. Yep, yep. And he, it, in Enlightenment now, he breaks it down across every level of global society, like literally down to world hunger by the numbers, yeah. murder rates, war rates, um, a whole bunch of the, the climate, everything. Yeah. And he tries to look at it with empathy, but then also deferring to what's the best possible outcome here. And one of the things that was a theme he talked about across some of these in the book was, first of all, he was open. He is not a Trump guy at all. I would say borderline hates him. When I've seen him speak publicly about him, he's more measured. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's okay. Like, like that's just kind of his point of view. But he, he understands what Trump did very, very well. And I bring it up because he points out that Bernie – did the same thing and gets no credit. Yeah. And I love yeah. his point. And here's here's the bottom line of the issue. When you look at 2015, 2016, first of all, let me add my own point in here real yeah, quick. Yeah, absolutely. I always ask people, who were the last four candidates in the primaries total between the two parties? Who were the last four candidates standing? They always know Trump and Clinton mm-hmm. and pretty much everyone knows Bernie. Who was the fourth? Cruz. Yes, yeah. Cruz. Okay. Now for po- both policy points and public image points, which in the context of the popularity contest, that is the presidency, it's the same thing. Across those four candidates, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, is there anyone in there who's even like a modicum of a moderate candidate? 
No. No, there's not. So we can agree that we've obviously, even in our selection process, weeded out the people who come with the moderate voice that we supposedly love to hear. The difference yeah. is the guys who aren't moderate get the attention in the media, so then that's who people pay attention to, and that's who wins the elections. Anyway, that needs to change. Either way, in that election, there were two people in that entire cycle who identified the problems that Americans had, a lot of Americans, mm -hmm. and spoke directly to them. And it's not close. Clinton was not the other one. Trump no. was one. He was brilliant at it. Yeah. Bernie Sanders was the other one, and he was brilliant at it. For and I, sure. And I raise it because we should have seen this coming. And I've talked about the wealth gap with you when we were talking earlier, um, and I've talked about it in other episodes, but it's, it's the number one theme. It drives everything that's happening out there. Yeah. And what these guys did is you had Trump, who's your pure businessman, capitalist, legit, regardless of whether you hate him or not, the guy fucking loves America. I mean, he's mm -hmm. just – he's all about it. He just – He's, he's kind of an asshole when he talks, and so he turns a lot of people off. And his policy positions have a lot that I certainly will save for another day to argue against. Mm -hmm, Either way, mm -hmm. he has the, the capitalist businessman policy positions. Bernie yep. Sanders, on the other hand, has been a consistent socialist. He calls himself yep. a democratic socialist, so let's give him the name that he calls himself. Yeah, And yeah. he believes in really th there's sometimes where the circle of life of the right and left between trump and sanders overlap a little bit like yeah. with nafta and for with sure. some of the chinese trade deals but other than that for the sake of argument let's say they're pretty much opposite solutions mm -hmm. the thing is when trump got his support to win was it the wall street guys voting for him was it the ceos voting for him right no it was the middle American base that had been left behind, whose industries were be being automated away, their margins were going like this, their wages were going down. Another point that Pinker points out mm -hmm. is that if you look at a graph, I'm, I'm going on my monologue here so that we can get all the context so we can yeah, get it out yeah, there, right? Yeah. So bear with me. But when you look at a graph from 19... The one he looked at was 1988 through 2008. But when you look at this graph roughly empirically from 1980 through today, yep. and the graph goes like this, and if you're not watching us, on one side, you have 0%. On the other side, you have 100%. Mm -hmm. And it measures the world class structure. So at 100% are the richest people. Jeff Bezos is 100%. 0% are the people who don't even live in society. Like they live up in the mountains in certain yeah. countries and are, and are cut off. Okay? Mm -hmm. And it measures wage growth over that time adjusted for inflation, meaning yeah. dollars yeah. being consistent. The entire graph is positive as you go across it, including in the most impoverished areas who still have a long way to go. Yeah. And then when you get to 75, the graph starts a swan dive. Mm -hmm. And by 80, it's negative. And from 80 through 85, roughly a little more than that, it's negative. And then it goes up above. And then once it hits 90, it starts to go way up again. Yep. Okay? So that's where you see the richest people winning in, in the Technorati society. 80 to 85, that percentile, happens to correlate and represent with the working middle class generally mm -hmm. or the upper lower class yeah yeah of the richest societies in the world america being the preeminent example which mm -hmm. goes to prove that there are a tremendous number of people in this country the freest best country in the world and i will say that open i love this country but there are a tremendous number of people who were left behind and both of these parties missed the boat and shame on the Republicans for missing it because they they actually got voted out of office on this but if you remember back in 2011 two things formed 
You had the Tea Party movement and Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. And if let's just call it what it is, Trump and Sanders formed. We just didn't have a name on the politician yet. And the Tea Party movement, actually, they took out guys like Eric Cantor, who I believe was like the Speaker of the House. Yep. They won seats in Congress. The Occupy Wall Street movement struggled to do that at first. They've done it now with people like AOC. Yeah. But these, these people were crying out because... Even though they had, they were from different geographic locations and different generations often, like the Tea Partiers tended to be middle or older age who were middle America and struggling and falling behind in traditional industries. Occupy Wall Street tended to be more urban liberals, younger, skewed millennial, and maybe slightly older, a little bit of Gen X too. Yeah. And one side, Occupy Wall Street, wanted all the money taken from the corporations and wanted a socialism type idea. The other side, the Tea Party, kind of wanted the same thing and didn't call it socialism. They wanted more trickle-down Reaganomics, if anything, but they had the same anger. Point being, these people had the same exact problem. They just wanted slightly different solutions. Mm -hmm. In comes Trump, Hurricane Trump and Sanders, the difference being the RNC has generally always been inept at understanding where the movements are going. The DNC has not been, but the DNC then as a history of fixing it against it. They're just yeah. smarter, but, you know, they rigged the process, which is why it's kind of evil. But income Trump and Sanders, and they got down on a level with these people. Yeah. They weren't up there. Hillary Clinton got up there, and, and I think she opened her campaign maybe at, like, Liberty National Park in Jersey City, like, literally, like, in New York almost, going, we're going to fight for freedom and justice, and, and we're going to continue the great... Obama years and she would speak with this and it, it was almost like Howard Dean yeah. need to come out of the bo- back and go <laughs> you know and it's like we're going back to 04 Kerry with this whole shit yeah, and, or yeah. 2000 Gore and then on the Republican side you had Cruz getting up there doing the old you know when our founders wrote the greatest document that was ever written called the Constitution which has been upheld by my mentor and the man that I will tell you 600 times more on this campaign trail not care that I worked for and maybe did sexual favors for, Antonin Scalia. <laughs> that is what I'm going to Washington, D.C., that you saw me shut down the government two years ago to stop the liberal media and all the Democrats from destroying the greatest document that was ever written. And people were like, okay, all right, we get it. You're from Texas. Like, you're a conservative. He wasn't fucking speaking to these people who had these no, problems. No. You get Trump to go up there, I will never forget this. New York City, I'm hungover as a motherfucker. I think it's like Halloween on a Sunday. I wake up in 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 uh, Ingber and, and Drake's apartment. I, I'm like, all right, <laughs> fuck. Like, already a bad start. And um, I, I, I whip out my phone, and Trump is doing a rally at like 9 a.m. on a Sunday on a boat somewhere. And I turn it on. There's fucking 2,000 people on this boat. I don't know where the boat was. He's wearing the white Make America Great Again hat. And he's getting up there and he's talking about wind turbines and how eagles die when they fly into them. Therefore, we shouldn't have wind turbines. And he's like, we love the eagle. We love the eagle. The eagles, it's our bird. And and they put these wind turbines up there. They say they're saving energy, but they're just killing the eagle. Do we want to stop the wind turbines? And you see all these people go, fuck, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that represents the technorati and all the people who are trying to take away their jobs. It's like the South yeah. Park episode. They took our jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now 
I re- I realized in that moment, and I didn't have the foresight to like understand like some of the things that were wrong with this. But I was like, holy shit, he's speaking to people. So we have ignored even the RNC still hasn't like caught up to that. There's a, a lot of them are supporting Trump. You have the guys like Ben Sass who aren't, yeah. but they haven't caught up to the fact that man, when we did like our whole autopsy after after Romney lost, we we really missed the boat here. And the DNC hasn't woken up to the fact that man, you know, we don't have to like socialism, and yeah, we we want to rig against that, but why have we had to rig against this twice it's because they're not speaking the language of the common man yeah well you want to know the biggest way that you can you can see that i mean it's it's through the tax plan when you look at at biden's tax plan and and you look at how unpopular it is i think the i mean it's the clearest example that i mean i would go as far as to say that the dnc i mean it's so hard to believe this but I would go as far as to say it. I don't even really think they understand what Bernie stood for at all. Like, I, I think that they were just blind to it. Because if you come out of seeing Bernie in 2016 and seeing the groundswell that Bernie had in, in, in you know, 2019, 2020 when he was running uh, again, and the only thing that you get out of it is this guy wanted to raise our taxes you really have a, a weird, twisted way of, of looking at this guy's politics. And in my mind, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that if that's the way that they looked at, the, at this guy's politics, that instead of sitting back and actually learning something from them, which probably they should have done if they didn't want him to actually be the president, they probably should have put somebody up that was like a Bernie clone, right? But instead of just... Instead of doing that, they just they just said, oh, this guy, he's, he wants to, I mean, he, he doesn't stand for anything that our donors stand for, so we're just going to write him off, right? When they could have learned all this shit about him and, and, and said, oh, there are these things that the people that support Bernie, the, the lower, upper middle class. Yeah, so the, the, it, to be clear, the yeah. working class of the middle class, yeah. and then it, you could stretch it also within these wealthy countries like the right. U.S. to the upper lower class, yeah, like yeah. the tail end on the edge. Exactly. Go ahead. That group, they want a lot of things that, I mean, it's, they don't, like, really that's what you get out of it? Like, that we want to raise taxes? Like, that they want to raise taxes? No, they, they want all these things that they don't get because they're in a disadvantaged position within the economy. Oh. I understand what you're saying now. Okay, like, keep going. It, keep going. It, it, like, yeah, maybe, maybe there would have been a need to raise some taxes to accomplish some of these things that, like, these people want. But, like, it's just so weird to me that, like, the that that Biden's team and like the the Democratic Party thinks that like you're gonna appease people. By just saying that you're gonna raise taxes, I, I mean, it, it just it's it's a it's almost like a, a tr- like a they're playing into some weird trope that like isn't true. Um, and frankly, I think people are are getting more and more sophisticated when it comes to to you know what what is the left the the far left the the neoliberal left the the moderates the you know fiscal conservatives the 
you know, it, I can go, I can go yeah. all the way down the spectrum, right? And all we hear is and, Republican and Democrat. And all we hear is Republican and Democrat, and we see somehow, for some reason, still, we see these like weird standard Republican and Democrat things that are just like, like touted as like, oh, this is going to appeal to to this group. No, I mean you have to like. You have to really drill into people what what people want, and the the thing that the thing that the the DNC needs to realize is sometimes a data based approach, which I I I think is the is the way to go. Yeah, you've been you've been consistent on that. And and I I I am a, a big on data, and I think it's the most important thing. But sometimes you really need to supplement that with like having people in the field like. Like observing what's going on, because like clearly they're not, right? Like, like you need you need some level of quant uh, of qualitative assessment with the, the 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 quantitative to to have a holistic view. And they don't. It seems like they just don't like like that. Them putting out that plan was like for me. It was like okay, you guys don't understand Bernie's politics. Or if you, or if you do, you're just trying to pretend that you don't understand them, so that people don't call you out for uh, essentially dubbing this guy the nomination. Am I understanding? I want to make sure I'm understanding fully correctly, because I've throughout this is going to be two podcasts now, obviously, because we've just gone off on a whole bunch of things. This has yeah. been wild today, people. Um, you are saying that from your seat. You don't condone or not condone. You're not supportive of socialism and you're not supportive of Bernie's tax policies, but you were supportive of a lot of the problems he identified in the way that he understood people and some of the things that those people wanted and should should get and should get the help from their government. Yeah. And then furthermore, on top of that, so that I can just let you unpack yeah, all yeah, this, yeah, yeah. you also think, therefore, that the Biden campaign – with the best example being them just touting this tax plan above all, along with other things, are just trying to lift almost for like a participation trophy. Some, oh, they if they like Bernie, they must like this thing. So we'll just say we're doing that and yeah. just inserting it into the campaign to say, look, we're doing what you want. Yeah, exactly. I, th I mean, I think I think both things are true. And and what I I, I really hate isms. So I'm, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say I hate socialism because I think when you when you group con when you group concepts and thoughts into isms um it makes it hard to delineate between different things within that so i i need to i feel like i need to walk back just that one thing that you said in terms of i don't like socialism i would just say that's not how i think in terms of like my worldview i don't think in terms of isms but what i will say is that I 100% agree with you that, yeah, maybe Bernie didn't really have a fully fleshed out tax plan that was going to make sense. But a lot of the things that he that that he identified that people needed, you know, healthcare, Can, yeah, give context. um, you know, immigration reform, mm -hmm. um, you know, things like that, for example, uh, childcare. That was a big um, one. Yeah. yeah, none of the candidates um, seem to have an answer for that except no. except him. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren had something, 
but she was another one of those candidates that sort of walked back a lot of things that she said. Yeah, she's we'll, insufferable. We'll get back to that. But um but yeah, I think I think he identified a lot of things that people really needed that were important and he was speaking to a lot of those things. And then the DNC what they lifted from his rhetoric was rich people make too much money so we need to tax them more. Dude. Not like, yeah. oh, there are these like problems that like everyday people go through that like they need to fucking solve. And like they can't solve them on their own because they're shit out of fucking luck the moment that they step into this world. They wanted right? to put a head on like, a stick. Like, yeah, exactly. And so it, it, instead of instead of going into Bernie's actual policy and figuring out what are those things that really are going to hit home with people, like those people that need these things. They they capitulated and said, oh, well, if we just say we're going to tax the rich, that'll be enough for them. Yeah. And like, who are you speaking to? Like that, that I, I really like it, it frustrates me because who like who are you genuinely speaking to? I sit here as somebody who, who does not come from a lot of money and you tell me that you're going to tax the rich. I have zero opinion about it, except that sounds annoying. Hmm. Sounds like I mean. The taxes that I pay for, I mean, I, I I don't see them necessarily going to anything, you know, substantial. But, I mean... If, that if, doesn't solve your problems. It doesn't solve my... Yeah, it doesn't solve my problems, and it certainly doesn't solve the problems of the people who need things that we're not providing them. Now, that's um, really interesting how you put that, yeah. too. That's incredible self-awareness. Yeah. Because as it's been made clear with you talking here, you're an extremely intelligent guy. You're an extremely well-educated guy. You're a guy, what are you, 26, 27 now? 26. Yeah. yeah. You have accomplished more by age 26 than 99.999999999% of the population. And you're pointing out that, yeah, like any other voter, you're voting on your issues and, and there's things that are important to you and you want to see certain things from candidates, but you're recognizing the fact that there are a lot of people out there who maybe didn't have the smarts you did, didn't have the environment you did. I mean, you come from a great family yep. um, and, and a, a, a good area. You never had to worry about where a meal was coming from. Exactly. And so you recognize that there are legitimate crises here and it's been ignored for so long, as Dr. Pinker's graph points out, that- yeah. Yeah, we as a voter, there's a responsibility to look out for your fellow man like that too. Yeah. No, I think that's 100% true. And it actually it's funny because you know, thinking about this, I'm getting more and more frustrated with with Biden as the candidate. But I think that I think there is um there's such a disconnect and such a lack of awareness from 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 the people that are putting together Biden's policy. Because, I mean, let's be real. He's not putting this policy stuff together. No, he's not. And Maybe, and, he, maybe he has a couple things that he cares about, but he's not drafting shit. No. no. Um, you know, so, I mean, they, they, they just don't know what's going on in the world. And it, and, and it kills me. Because, I mean, like, I, like I've said throughout the past couple of hours, right, like, We've been talking we should for all, like we should, five hours. We should, we, should all, we should all be putting ourselves out there to learn what's going on in the world and like care about what's happening. Regardless of your political affiliation, like we should all want to see what's happening to, to push forward our, our society, to push forward the, the, the human race. How is, how is cherry picking 
raising taxes so that people feel like you you maybe get what Bernie's talking about. How does that help? I mean, well, the it, the other the other issue is this: the current vice president Mike Pence and the last vice president Joe Biden were a stark departure from at least the previous two vice presidents. And mm -hmm. I could go beyond that, but let's just say they were a stark departure from Dick Cheney, especially, <laughs> and Al Gore in that, and there's something commendable about this. They are both incredibly loyal to the president. Yeah. Biden was, and people, you know, because Biden says some old school things. And again, I don't know if the guy knows where he is sometimes, which is really sad to say. But people say he said racist stuff in the past or whatever. Say whatever you want. He was the vice president for the first black president this country ever had. And he and that bond is is very, very real. Yeah. And and not to put something behind it, but sources that I have who I trust tremendously, who have been right on other stuff, who are privy to that back that up 1000%. Mm -hmm. And then you look at Pence right now, like Pence is, you know, like Trump busts his balls because, you know, he's a Bible belt in, in Indiana guy who asked for permission to walk into a room if his wife's not in it and there's another woman there. Like, I'm yeah. being exaggerating, yeah. but, you know, Trump rolls his eyes at that shit, but Trump and Pence, like, support each other a thousand percent. And so the original point you brought up in this argument is very important for Biden's candidacy in that we did see, I don't know so much in the town hall like a week or two ago, whatever that was, but in no. that last debate, we did see him willing to take a little departure from yes. some of what Obama did. And, and he, it, you know, it was almost sad to watch because you could tell he was like so hesitant to do it because he felt like, he, you know, he's a loyal guy. And yeah. again, it might be too little too late because one of the things my dad pointed out and, you know, I, my, my dad is, is kind of, been a Republican his whole life, not yeah. not somebody who's loud about his opinions, but he has busted balls the last four years. It's kind of funny. And he takes it too. My dad takes it very well. Like he mm -hmm. works with a mm -hmm. lot of people. A, a lot of his coworkers are all like Democrats. And so they, they have jokes. with. It's a very healthy thing in our polarized society that I wish everything was like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. he was pointing out last night as we were watching it, the debate, he goes, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm just biased, but there's something about the fact that Every time Biden tries to make a point, he's that typical politician. He turns and he has the twinkle in his eye and he looks right at the camera and does the thing. Whereas when Trump's going, man, I mean, he's just one thing you cannot take from that guy. And I will I will die on this hill besides the entertaining thing is he's real. He, he yeah. tells you who he is, man. And he like, yes, to your point, I agree. He's incoherent half the damn time. And. Most of the time, it's like to kill time because someone asks him something. He's like, I don't fucking know the answer to that. So, like, you remember when he was running for office and they asked him in the debate about Cuba? This was just one of many examples. I actually don't remember and this. And you no. could, you saw his face. He's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, John Harwood, I think, was asking the question. You could tell John Harwood, who does not like Trump, was just like, I, I got him. And, and, he, and he's just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
never thought about Cuba in his life, forgot Cuba existed in all likelihood. Yeah. And, and he stands there and he goes, well, I'll tell you something, John. Uh, when you look at Cuba, I mean, bad things in Cuba, bad things. But, uh, you know, it, obviously there was the whole Russia thing and there was a lot of, you know, people had a lot of questions around that. But Cuba, you know, Castro, it just starts throwing out buzzwords. Yeah, yeah. Castro and obviously dictatorship, not great. Um, but, you know, it, I, there's a deal to be made. There's always a deal to be made. I can tell you we're looking into it. We're looking into it. I got I got the best people in the world. We're looking into it. There's a deal to be made. There's the new Castro down there, and uh, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you on it, John. Said nothing. <laughs> I remember that answer. Said yeah. nothing in that answer, and he did that a lot. But A, it's funny. B, it's it's literally like an admission. Like, I have no... It's it's like, I have no fucking idea what this guy just said, so yeah, let me just yeah. make up an answer. And all you people you see, I'm making up an answer right now. Whereas when you see the politician look in the camera, they could have never heard of something in their life, and this thing happens where mm -hmm. their body just transforms and suddenly the twinkle goes in their eye and they go let me tell you like like william jefferson clinton was the best at this he could look you in the eyes and have no fucking idea what he was talking about but that politician came on and be like let me tell you something i really believe in this process right here i have read every single document as it is pertaining to this law give me the name of the law again. yeah i know it inside <laughs> i have slept with this in fact me and chelsea were up last night thinking about this and talking about how it's going to change the world. And I'm leaving office in six years, but this is going to live beyond me. And everyone's like, for some reason, he sucked you in every time because he was the best. Yeah. Trump, you know it's just some fucking old fart who's like, you know what I think? He goes off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, that's why I was so, like I said, that's, that's why I was so happy to hear something new for a change from, from Biden. Something that actually seemed uh, genuinely original from, from him. Mm -hmm. uh, a viewpoint that was his um what do you think of the whole and and i, I gotta bring it up because I, I think we've attacked trump on every level with his family his business every single thing's been attacked for four years so let's be yeah. fair here what do you think of like this hunter biden thing <laughs> i'm sorry um i had to do it yeah i mean is it possible that um is it possible that that Joe Biden personally benefited from dealings that Hunter had uh, overseas? It's possible. Um, is it also possible that, I mean, you had a guy, Joe Biden, who was really letting Hunter live on a long leash because he had... A really tough life? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so it's conflicting for me because I think, I don't think that it would, it's, it's a malicious thing at all. If, if there was any, any benefits gained by the Biden family generally mm -hmm. um, in Hunter's dealings with, with foreign entities. I really don't think it was malicious. I think I think there's I think a lot of it just stems from the fact that I mean, when you're talking about a guy that's gone through some real tough things in life as Hunter Biden has. Um lost lost his mother, lost like his age mother, two. lost his sister, yeah. lost lost his brother. Brother, exactly. 
was kicked out. Um, was kicked out of uh, kicked out of the military. Kicked out, which I, you know, look, you make mistakes. We yeah. all make mistakes, and he served this country, and that's a really tough thing. You deal with that dishonorable discharge. To say nothing of the pressure of who he was, I think that's yeah. important to give context. Yeah, but I think when you take all of that into account, and you're a father, I think it's really hard to keep your son on a short leash with a life like that. That 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 he had the, the the cards that he was dealt, and so I think that if it was something that Joe let happen, he let it happen, but not in a way that he was being malicious or corrupt. More in a way of like my kid's gone through so much shit. Like you see the human, in yeah, it. yeah. Like my my kid has just gone through so much shit. Like I'm gonna let him live his life and and see what happens. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think of it more on that level because if it were me in that spot, that's, that's probably what I would have done. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that Joe Biden and I share similar personality traits, but I just think that there's an innate human sort of thing there from dealing with all of that trauma, um, that makes it tough for me to think anything badly um, uh, in the grand scheme of things about, about the situation. You got, um, you got empathy for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now the law of averages says that right now with what I'm about to say, half my audience is going to scream, fuck you. And half my audience is going to say, good, that was a good answer. And let's move on. But um, I, I'm not going to push back on that at yeah. all. And I, and I've read the case ad nauseum now, and there are some, certainly questionable things there and there are some things that may involve biden a little bit that it doesn't make them look great yeah it's stupidity at, right. at best and some corruption at worst the reason i'm gonna let it slide a little bit is even though i think the media has been hysterically against trump to the point that they've lost all credibility yeah there is if you really want to play this game the guy was a businessman it's a different ball game than politics with different things to worry about. Yeah. You can't tell me that there wasn't something with his family there at somewhere with all this news, even if 99% of it is fake, and it might be. Yeah. There's 1% there that has a kernel of truth that shows, like, you probably don't have a ton of room to talk in this scenario. To say nothing of, like, I'm sorry, but his daughter's, like, the special advisor to the president. Mm -hmm. His son-in-law advised him to fire Jim Comey, which think yeah. what you want of Jim Comey. And I'm, I got a guy coming on who's got some opinions on that. But not a bright move. Yeah, not a bright yeah. move. You know, and, and there, there's a nepotism there at any rate that I'm like, well, all right, fuck it. They get, the one guy's son got paid a little bit of money. Whatever. Yeah. Look, th the way I see it is this, right? Biden is a, a hokey old politician guy. Yeah. He, and he really, in his career, right? He really wasn't that corrupt of a guy. If you look at, if you look at him and his his earnings and his net worth, in the context of all of these other co uh, congressmen that he was in Congress with, he was probably in the the bottom ten percent of net worth. Looking at, you know everybody within the Congress that he was a part of. To, to be clear, we don't have any data to back that up right now, but the, the concept of what you're saying, yeah. inherently, I would agree with. Yeah, yeah. and so he was, in, in my opinion, and, and again, I mean, 
there needs to be data here. But in my opinion, he wasn't more than the classic old-timey politician who dished out favors for favors in a, a way that wasn't What you're not corruption. saying is right, but yeah. 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 You know, and when I look at the the situation with Hunter, I agree with you completely. Business is business. It's a different story. And was there is there a possibility that that some benefit trickled in? Absolutely. There's there's no there's no doubt in my mind that 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 there's a possibility. But you know, I I can't I can't like I can't fault um or I I can't rush to conclusions without first of all more understanding of what of what probably happened meaning is there is there more proof out there about other things that that mm-hmm. that have like like you know Giuliani talks about these emails like what, what can somebody find one email? yeah the, the sort and and that's and that's something we should say if you haven't checked out these new york post stories this needs to be said yeah. and and when it's the left side, this shit never gets said, but that doesn't make it right. Like the guys who were responsible, the, it, the whole story to make it short revolves around Hunter Biden's old laptop that had things yeah. on it that incriminated some stuff. And it certainly, the FBI appears to have supported the fact that it is his laptop, but some of the things that were yeah. reported in the news, we got to see what's what. The guys who, who produced the laptop after they got it from the computer store owner who had it, the story was pushed by Rudy Giuliani, who mm-hmm. is Trump's personal attorney, and Steve Bannon, who yeah. is, you know, the former CEO of Breitbart, used to be strategist to the president, yep. to President Trump. And so, yes, inherently, just like a lot of the left-wing media, it has a bias to it. So it's another yeah. thing that makes me go, whatever. The, by the way, the censorship argument we were talking about way back that does not change i could that's a separate issue but if we're talking about this in the context of corruption here and what's what i mean it's sad that i say this because i feel like it's a race to the bottom but it's like whatever man you know and it it sounds like you're you're kind of saying that too and i will say biden biden is also always and i'm not saying he can't be a bit of a corrupt politician i probably buy the fact that he is you're if you're in washington for 47 years you know some shit's gonna happen but he is he was universally liked across yeah. party lines like they and it's all corrupt like they all have dinner together and you know cheers and laugh at all the americans sometimes i'm sure they do that like if i'm being a cynic and i am sometimes like that's probably true but he, he's very well liked yeah it's it's true but the the thing that that i thought he missed last night and again very coherent once again the town hall though i will say this till the day i die he was phenomenal in that i was turning on i'm like yeah I want whatever he's having. <laughs> like, like he was like emotional. He would switch from person to person. He was he was personal. Yeah. He was measured. His stances minus like one or two were very moderate. They're like yeah. I was like I'd vote for that. Like and and then you know it kind of turned off. But he he has been like that. But one of the things that we we talk about this Bernie thing to go back there and how the Democratic Party misses some things. The Democratic Party seems to have and and the rnc was missing this too and the only reason they haven't missed on this is because of trump in my opinion because this is one place he's good but when it comes to jobs and people having a purpose in society right now trump is still speaking that language did you well let me ask you this first and then i'll take it somewhere 
What did you think the most shocking moment of that debate was last night? I have an answer. You don't have to agree with me, but what do you think the most shocking moment was? Or what do you think I'm going to say? Maybe I should say. Mm, what are you going to say? Man, I mean, for me, it was like a, for me, it was, it was like a Hershey bar. It's pretty one note. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, if, if, uh, if there is anything really shocking to me. Um, oh, you know what I will say, actually, I will say one thing was, was a little shocking to me. Um, it was shocking at first, but then it, but then it was walked back. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know if this is what you're going to say, but when, when Trump said that, it, uh, when Trump said that, that he accepted responsibility, so to speak for the amount of deaths that have, mm. uh, occurred, no, in the, answer. Keep going. occurred in the U S uh, as a result of, uh, of COVID. But then, so I was, I was, I was sort of shocked because he's never said that before, but, but then he sort of walked it back and was like, but it's China's fault. <laughs> Um, so, so he, he didn't really accept responsibility. The China that was, virus. So I was, I was shocked for a second there. Cause I thought he was actually going to take some responsibility over the thing, but then he didn't. I, you know uh, what? I actually, <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Cause he went, he, he went, let's be yeah. honest. He did go then straight to the, but you have to remember this virus was brought here by China. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a China. Pro so he didn't like, I can't really give him credit for that because it's like when you say, I'm sorry, but. Yeah, exactly. You know, which probably the greatest I'm sorry but I ever saw, I shouldn't say this, but was um, when the Access Hollywood tape came out and he everyone thought it was done. He releases the video at midnight and he's just like staring into a monitor. He goes, I'm very sorry for what I said and it was wrong. It was locker room tuck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Bill Clinton raped people. <laughs> it's like the ultimate. Yeah, he didn't yeah. give a fuck about saying, you know what I mean? But go ahead. What's the, what's the, what was the biggest shock? I'm surprised you were shocked by anything, but maybe I'm forgetting something. Yeah, let me, um, I have it pulled up behind you here. Uh, let's take a look. But if, 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 you if you take a look-see right here, this was uh, an interesting moment, and we'll play this video. All right, here we go. Stop giving to the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. Oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. To the, to the gas, excuse me, to, the, to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Look at his Why face. are we giving it to the oil industry? We actually do right. to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. Yeah, that's the look at statement. Biden's face. Because basically what he's saying is he is going to destroy the oil industry. Will you remember that Texas? Will you okay. remember that Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice yeah, so, so here's the thing on this, actually. He, after the debate, the Biden team walked back on this, and even though even though Biden said it, I think it was a uh, a, a bit of a snafu. I don't think he meant to go this far because after the debate, his his team came out and said, "Let's just clarify this. We don't want to completely eliminate the oil industry. We just want to give significant subsidies um, to clean energy and take away subsidies from the oil industry, which is frankly a pretty mainstream position." So they, they, they walked back those statements. But I agree with you. I was also shocked. I remember saying, and by the way, this was after a bottle and a half of wine. So, so I, I mean, I was at, at this point, I was, you know, they got into the corruption thing. Yeah. And I, I, just, started, I just started pounding glasses of wine. But, Good but, for you. But, Good but, for you. 
<laughs> but but I will say, and I hate to say that because it's what like liberals say all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like he didn't mean that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, people do it for Trump. Things they do it my all the wine. time. Yeah. You know what I mean? But but let's be real. Um, I w- I was shocked by that, and I was like, wait, he he just said that he's he's anti oil, pro, hundred percent clean energy. Um, but yeah, they they ended up walking this back. So I, I I agree with you. Shocking at first, but now it's like, oh, it's just a classic Democrat thing. You know, Here, they, here's here's the problem that that people have, and and this is why I see this. And once again, I go because I mean Trump's performance as an entertainer. I mean that's textbook Trump right there. I mean yeah, that yeah. is a thirty second clip for the ages without him saying anything for the first 15 with his faces because trump understands this like oil as an example it is something eventually we want to be able to get rid of it's not great for the environment the thing about it is it employs 10 million people in this country including a lot in ohio and pennsylvania and the process to do it can be done slowly and over a long period of time whereby you give that industry an ability to innovate things that aren't necessarily oil and continue to provide jobs dude this is what this is literally what i'm talking about when i say that the dnc just takes points from the far left and regurgitates them into what they think people want to hear. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Because if 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 that let's just say that that was a talking point that they thought would would score major points, right? Oh, we want to go completely clean energy, right? It goes back to the whole green deal, the green new deal, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that uh AOC and and Bernie, I mean Bernie was a co-signer of the original green new deal bill, right? So it goes back to that. Right. And so when you say, oh, I want to go, I want to cut oil and make a hard pivot to clean energy, which is basically how that was positioned. Mm -hmm. You're missing the point. The point is that the Green New Deal is a way to provide people with jobs, provide people economic opportunity that ultimately goes from point A, which is where we are today, to point B, which is a, a world that is more green energy focused, where there have been really no lost jobs in the process. Yes, in the bill, there's a lot of public spending mm-hmm. that was probably too much. But the core of the bill is that it serves a purpose for people, which is it provides them jobs, and then it serves a second purpose for people, which is it cleans up the environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the, But the DNC doesn't understand that. They just take the issue... And they just regurgitate it into what they think people are going to want. And that's a perfect example, again, of a situation where they had to walk back from it because it didn't work. I agree with you, though. I think it was a snafu. Yeah. I don't think – let me be fair to Joe Biden here. I don't think he actually meant that. I just don't know that Joe Biden knows anything he means. I mean, how many times has this guy in, in, in a similar subject matter said, we're going to ban fracking? And then goes, oh, I never said that, you know? Yeah. And also, Trump has to walk back things all the time. Trump, yeah, yeah, Trump yeah, has yeah. snafus like every day. The, the thing I will respect about it, not the snafus, but Trump tends to be the guy to walk it back. 
Yeah. He comes out there and maybe sometimes he even says, that's not what I said. And maybe he didn't mean to say that sometimes. And and so he doesn't even do it correctly, but he does it. Yeah. It's not like some campaign advisor behind some PR statement in an iPhone note that says, tonight, Joe, Joe R. Biden, Senator, Vice President Joe R. Biden said that he did not want to have the oil industry continue. We would like to reflect, or we, I'm sorry, yeah. he would like to reflect that this is not in, this in no way represents it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not the, real. At the, at the very best, it's a snafu. Yeah. And at the very worst... It's another example, yet again, that there are, are broader political systems that, that govern this country that don't understand the common American. And that's, the, that's, the, that's where Trump is the ultimate paradox to me. Yeah. This is really important because you see Trump, Trump just wants people to have jobs. He wants people to work. He likes his rallies where everyone's happy and whatever. Mm -hmm. And what he misses, like the intentions to me are right on that. The problem is what does he do? He goes to the coal miners. That's the most extreme example. He goes to the farmers. It, 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 coal miners destroying the environment doing that. Goes to the farmers who, frankly, aren't going to be needed. Already kind of aren't needed in some ways. Yeah. He goes to all these old school traditional industries that when he leaves, they're going to go back to being gone again. Yeah. And the difference is he's got them making as much money as they've made in a while right now. He's got them working and feeling good. And now let's take the extreme example, the coal miner example. This is where his policies go wrong, in my opinion, even though he has the right intentions. The coal miners are now bringing their sons. They have eight years or four years, maybe eight if he wins, to bring their sons into the mines. And what's going to happen when Trump leaves? It's going to go right back to Washington business as usual. And this yeah. is where the Republicans and Democrats should all stand in a corner and stare at the floor because they have missed this for years where all these people were crying out and they just sat there drinking their wine in Washington, D.C. and pretended, ah, oh, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Especially like when the Democrats and this is this is where they'll get blamed. The Republicans didn't help those people at all. The Democrats would openly, without looking at those people out in middle America, they would say, no, we're going to they'd go after the latest, most progressive thing. We're going to yeah. destroy this and go to the green thing, this, and not worry about the fact that all these people who lived in these rural places who didn't have access to an environment that could actually like feed them intelligence to be able to function in a future economy, we're now going to fall farther behind and we're going to need to rely on the government. Yeah. And then on the other side, by the way, let's be like, th this is where I get savage against the parties here. This is a prime yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. The Republicans go, yeah, exactly. Now we got that right because we got Trump. Okay. What about all the cities with all the low income communities who have been given no resources who've been who've had fathers thrown in jail for years that usually starts with being arrested for a fucking joint when you're 17 right. in a system that's never changed what about what have you what have you done for them all you do is yell oh democrats have controlled those city for 60 years yeah but what what did you do when you controlled them i'll tell you what you did when Rudy Giuliani was there, and there were some good things he did as mayor because he was mayor during 9-11. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you, I, I think it was him and, and Bloomberg, who was another Republican for a while there, they did the stop and frisk. Yeah, They created an environment that perpetuated a lot of these standards. So if you're going to complain about, well, the Democrats never listen to the rural people in the middle, you've never listened to all the cities where there's all these problems, and they're along racial lines a lot, too. So these parties have nothing to stand on, and I don't care if you have the right intentions or not. That's why there hasn't been an answer where I go, hey, this works in the long term and short term. But yeah. Last night, there was the difference between the politician and the guy who at least, even if he's got it wrong, speaks the language and understands you don't walk up to people or better yet, walk up next to them and not even look them in the eyes and say, yeah, we're going to take your jobs away. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you, if you boil, if you boil it down and you ask me, what am I going to do on the third? I mean, I know, I know, I know I'm not voting for Trump mm -hmm. and I mean, the way I see it, Biden's got 
the next two weeks to convince me. Cause I'm not, I'm not really there yet. Yeah. I'm not. And, and I, and, and I, I don't know if I'm yeah. going to get there. I think it's, I think it's, you're in a common boat with a lot of people and that's why it's going to be so interesting to see how the election goes here, who decides to vote. And when they vote, do they vote for somebody? Here's how I look at it. And I think I relate to you a lot. I, I, I know I've said this now, maybe this is the third time between these two podcasts. I'm not voting for either of these guys. Yeah. I know that I, and unless Jesus Christ came down and, and said I was real and, you know, I endorse whatever candidate you know, I, I, I'm just not doing it. Yeah. And the reason is I view a vote as an endorsement now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm never going to lie about my vote. I will tell you who I voted for. That That's yeah. never, I don't care if I have a podcast or if I'm fucking talking to you on the couch, I'm never going to lie about my vote. Mm -hmm. And if I vote for somebody, I am going to be cast as an endorsement for that candidate. And so when I look at it, Biden eliminated himself by the fact that he can't talk. And it, obviously it's been different the last couple of debates, but I can't look past that. It yeah, is, it yeah, is, the, it yeah. is the ultimate race to the bottom. Can you, can you formulate a sentence? No. So yeah, that then puts me like, well, do I go for Trump? I can't endorse policies that I just laid out. I can't endorse the fact that this is a guy, I mean, I'm sorry, but he's 74, he's a boomer, you know, he's 74 yeah. years old. He's never had a computer on his desk. The only thing he knows how to do is type in enough to tweet, and we're not sure that he actually does it with his own fingers. He may just – I've heard he dictates it, oh, right? God. So this is the guy – like, I'll give him credit. He stood up to China. In my opinion – I could be wrong here. I think he stood up to China on all the things they want him to stand up to them on to create a distraction because he's standing up to them on trade, materials, and old-school business. You know what the China 2025 campaign is all about, though? This is Made in China 2025. It's a campaign from the communist Chinese government. It's all about technology. Yeah. Okay, so maybe Trump's protected some IP. What what has he done to curb what they're doing investing in the blockchain? What has he done to curb what they're doing investing in artificial technology in artificial intelligence and maybe passing us in that department? They've passed us. There's four main departments that tech is judged on. They all got really fucking long names. The only one I can remember for sure, so I'll say, is artificial intelligence. By 2018, 18 years after being behind us in all four, China was ahead in two, tied in one, and slightly behind in AI. They're yeah. ahead now. Yeah, for sure. That's a fucking problem. That's not the guy I want fucking taking care of it. So I can't endorse that. I, I, I won't do it. And to say nothing of, I'm sorry, whether or not he's a racist or whatever, if someone walks up to me with evidence of all this shit, I can't sit there and tell them they're wrong. How many times is he going to say stupid shit? Maybe he's not, but how many times is he going to say stupid shit that I'm yeah. like, I can't defend that? Yeah. I mean, he can, he can, he can say blatantly, he can, he can say blatant things in, in, the, in the contrary if he wanted to. Like when he said the look, I mean, the 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 Proud Boys thing, I get it. It could have been a mistake. I don't think he knew who the Proud Boys were. I, I mean, it's possible, but I mean, why do you have to have, uh, why do you have to have Junior go up and apologize for you? I actually. Prime example, because I gave him actually let, let's let's do that because I gave him credit for always being the guy to come out and and correct the record, and he very yeah. often does. On that one, he should have stood right the fuck up there and said, "I just found out who." He should have admitted, yeah. "I had no fucking idea who they were." Instead, he it was the same thing as Cuba. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, he should have admitted it. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 frankly, I didn't really understand that move. Yeah, and like, if if you've got a guy standing next to you. Joe Biden, who who consistently says that you're a, a walking, breathing dog whistle, 
I don't know why you wouldn't do everything in your power to make it seem like you weren't. Mm. I mean, I agree. It just strikes me as bizarre. And when he tweets out stuff like, and and this is where I just go, what the fuck are you doing? When he tweets out stuff through like code words, almost yeah. like he'll tweet out the suburban housewife must vote for me because they're the Biden Obama rule to let in lower income housing. You're going to lose your neighborhood. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's coming in in the lower income housing there? You know, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's so it's careless at best. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, so, so that's where we're at. That that's, that's really where, where my position lies now. And look, I, what, this is what I hope, right? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll caveat this all with with what I hope happens, right? Which is, I hope someone can come in and, and think a little bit more pragmatically about things, and you know, I, I don't know I don't know what it requires. Um, I know that there are are parts of the population that that need need to be heard that have, are not heard right now, but there has to be someone that can can do that in a way that makes capitalism work for everyone. And again, mm. I'm not a I'm not an ism guy, but just to to put it in the simplest terms. While also providing people who who need to move their their starting point forward. Mm. Get a little bit of an edge. And I don't mean an edge in terms of them being further than everyone else, but at least at the same point. So that systematically we can combat some of the things that make it impossible for that to happen today. And if you ask me right now, who's going to do that? And what candidate is the closest? I mean, I would tell you right now, nobody. I, I, I can't, I can't think of one person, maybe Yang, maybe. Mm. Yang's an interesting guy, man. But he, and, but but Yang's yeah. but Yang's already under the control of of people that I think he was diametrically opposed to. Yeah. Uh, now, so I don't know if it's Yang anymore. I th I think he kind of walked. I think he walked into that blissfully ignorant because I really I like that guy, and I'm I'm not I got to do a lot more research on some of the things he said, but yeah. I've researched the UBI a lot. But that guy came at it from a fresh lens, and. What I loved about him is he talked with everyone. He wanted to do interviews with the farthest left wing stuff, the farthest yeah. right wing stuff, and everything in between. And I commended that so I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, and I mean, he's got a lot going for him in the sense that he he understands a lot of different perspectives. He himself is a minority. He has a son with autism. Mm. Um, you know he he understands technology very well entrepreneur um yeah he's a by trade an entrepreneur and so he understands where we're headed and where we're behind mm -hmm. and so i think there's a lot of potential there i mean i i just i don't know what i don't i don't know where his head's at now that that he works at cnn i don't know but yeah you you could say that about you could say that about a lot of guys i mean i I don't know. Sometimes I'm cynical about it, but the minute you see anyone on the right or anyone on the left lose or lose a job, they get a job at some network and then start being a talking head on stuff. And yeah. it's like you almost get sucked into the system. You yeah. know? It sucks because it's like, uh, you know, not to derail things too much, but it's like, uh, 
it's like sports, you know, how like you end your sports career and then you become a sportscaster. But being a sportscaster doesn't like ostracize you from like half the population. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know who it's going to be, man. I feel you, man. Wild times. I mean, just <laughs> wild times, to say the least. But um, thanks for all all the insight on uh, on what's going on. I, I think especially over this full course of the day, recording these two, talking about a whole bunch of issues, you haven't mm-hmm. backed down from anything, and you're giving a ton of nuance in these opinions. And I love that when I find the guys who can do that because, you know, sometimes I'm, I, I feel like the only one sometimes. I know I'm not at all. A lot of people feel that way. <laughs> But let, let's let's turn away from from politics. I've I'm getting exhausted here. I I actually wanted to catch up with you because yeah, y- you've been around the sun here a little bit, and to talk about your background, can you just explain when, when you came out of college? What where did you go and 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 what did you do? Just so people have some context on it. Yeah, for sure. Um, immediately out of college, um, landed at Goldman Sachs, doing uh, credit underwriting for you know, big software deals. So, you know, company needed a loan. Uh, we'd work out a deal, write them a check. Um, and, you know, all the all the good stuff that goes into that. So, you know, can this company pay their loans if they can? I mean, I'm, I'm saying it in the, the simplest terms possible, but, yeah. um, you know, if a company can essentially pay down their loans that they want, we, we cut them the check. And in good faith, we... Uh, you know, we, we, we set an agreement that, that they get this amount of money, and if they default, then we have certain rights that we go after them for. So, right. um, I mean, that's loan 101, right? right? And then... And uh, you can't say client names, by the way. I, I no, know I, I, I yeah. want to do that, but you did work with some of the biggest companies in the world. In this yeah, that's right. So, yeah. I, I mean, all across the spectrum, all the way, like investment grade, which is essentially like the in biggest English. companies, um, mm-hmm. you know, companies that have gigantic balance sheets um and then also the little guys so so companies with like you know companies worth like 50 to 100 million dollars which is like pretty small in the context of, of you had a big range yeah you had a huge big range. range yeah because we were we were um we were industry focused um so we saw deals no matter how big or small small market big uh mid-market uh large cap as long as they were in your industry, you probably touched, you know, the gambit of, of all those those different size companies. And you were really specifically software, you said. Yeah, so it's software specifically, and I, I worked primarily in a couple of different uh, niches just based on where I, I fell with my team. So fintech, enterprise software. Um, fintech is financial uh, yeah, technology. Yeah, financial technology. Yeah. Uh, enterprise software, cybersecurity. Um, what else? Um, you know, other, other, other types of like, uh, software as a service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, those were, those were my bigger, uh, focuses, um, and, and where I saw most of the deal flow. Now, when you were coming out of college, how much of like a tech guy were you? Because obviously you went to work at a bank and then you, you went to work in, in, in the part of the bank that works with the major tech clients, but how yeah. much were you like really into that or did you grow into that? Yeah, it's, it's funny. And I actually just had this conversation with somebody the other day about, um, how different being in New York is and growing up in New York, uh, versus growing up in, in, in San Francisco. Mm. Um, 
but I mean, zero, the answer is zero. I, I really knew nothing about the space other than it was cool. Um, it was really happening on the West Coast. Um, like when you grow up in New York, not a lot of people when I was growing up in New York as a kid, which is like the late 90s and the entirety of the, the you know, 2000 to 2010, uh, like the, the, the early aughts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nobody at that time in New York was really talking about startups, mm-hmm. at, least where I, at least where I came from. And it's because everybody had a daddy on Long Island who was in finance um, or was in sales or, you know, ran a business. And so it was really most people were talking about finance as the end-all be-all. Most people were talking about, if they weren't talking about finance, they were talking about small business in the context of uh, non-technology-driven small businesses. So, um, you know, restaurants, um, which, I mean, we can argue that all these businesses now are technology-driven, but um, at the time, I'm talking, uh, but, but restaurants... Um, you know, stores, um, construction businesses, like, you know what I'm saying? Good old New York like, construction, baby. Like the, yeah. the, the quintessential small business. Mm-hmm. And so th- those were the things that you heard a lot about. Um, and I really hadn't, hadn't, you know, identified tech as, as something that was interesting to me and the tech world, the space. Until I started at Goldman, because at Goldman, that's that's when I really got insight into, I mean, ha- all these amazing things that these companies were doing that I had no idea were out there. Um, you know, companies providing certain softwares to these industries that were completely disruptive, right? Uh, completely changing the way that, um, you know, companies did, for example... Uh, telecommunications, uh, that companies did cybersecurity, um, all these different things. And I saw basically all of these companies through M&A processes, mergers and acquisitions. So all these big companies within my vertical start to acquire and gobble up all these small companies mm. uh, that were doing these disruptive things. And I started saying to myself after I, you know, I'm, I'm just, and I'm just sitting there on 200 West Street you know, modeling in Excel and writing checks, you know, signing documents. And I'm sitting there and like, you know, I kind of feel like I'm sitting on the sideline here while all this cool stuff's going on. And I don't, I don't really want to sit on the sideline for much longer. And so I ended up hooking up with, uh, with uh, some, some mutual acquaintances that are, that were in finance and then moved to tech. Um, And they said, look, man, like it's possible. Like, don't let anyone tell you that from going to finance to the tech space is not possible. Because if they tell you that, they're lying or they're full of themselves. Um, and I sort of looked at him and I said, well, I mean, that, I mean, I think it helped me a lot to, to sort of frame what I was looking for. Because I think, I think there's a difference between operating and VC in, in, in the startup land in terms of the qualifications that you need and the things that people look for. I think, 
I think to be a VC, a, a really successful one, in 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 sort of the startup ecosystem right now, you need to know a lot of people in tech already. Mm. Like you need to you need to have networked the shit out of every single pocket of tech and the tech community as as you possibly can. It's about who you know. I think it's a I think it's a big I think it's a big thing uh to 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 really have a huge Rolodex when it comes to being a VC. What makes you say that? Um I think if you know a lot of people, you share deals. So they'll mm. they'll let you know when when certain deals are happening. And obviously the best deals together that are the ones that you know are going to be amazing in their early stage because that's where you're going to get the most return. And so like when you look at for example like you know the invest the early investors in Uber uh or the early investors in Facebook yeah like they were all guys that like sort of knew each other you know and there's nothing wrong with that it's just to be really successful VC and to find those unicorns the the best way to do it is to know other people that are looking for the same things that you are yeah and so so for 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 that sort of ecosystem I think a lot of it comes from making a name for yourself and in and 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 developing this network. I think operating is different. I think I think you can get into operating and just be a, an extremely stellar and talented person and you don't necessarily need to know everybody in the world. And it's actually something that um Keith Rebois, uh who's you know one of the the general partners at at Founders Fund, who's which is a a huge VC, VC firm. He says it all the time, which is uh, that the one of the best things you can do as an operator of a startup, as a founder, is to go out there and find undiscovered talent. And the reason, and the reason why is, if you do that, you're not competing with everyone else for those people. So you're expending less resources to acquire those people as part of your organization, and those are the people whose upside is potentially untapped because they don't know really any better uh, except, you know, being a talented stellar person. Like they're not, they're not chasing necessarily the next, the next big thing immediately. They need to, they need to prove themselves. Right. So I think there was, a, there's, there's an aspect of that that made uh, joining the operating world um, easier for me because um, I didn't know anyone in VC. I knew a handful of people. And every single time I would try and network um, to, you know, with a VC and say, hey, I'm interested in this potentially, they would pretty much say, well, you know, how often are you going out to lunch with VCs? How often are you, you know, um, practicing your pitch with other VC? Like, and I, I mean, I didn't have time to do that. Like, yeah, you I was were working eighty-five yeah. hours, ninety hours yeah. a week at Goldman. Exactly. Um, but what I did know was I was a hard-ass worker, and I wanted to just to just grind for 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 a company and get that experience. And so, ended up meeting, um, you know, Matteo, the current CEO of Eight Sleep, through some mutual acquaintances, and I mean sort of the story there. I mean, I think, I think, you know, 
there was an opportunity to to come in as a, a bit of a generalist and help accelerate some things. Um, and I mean, at that point, I couldn't say no. And the company is amazing, by the way. Now, what? And we'll get to the company. But what? What you just said, generalist. But it sounds like you were. First of all, trying to build a network from scratch there, because even at Goldman, on the deals you were working with, you were kind of working with the businesses, and you're you're in the shit. Like you're yeah. in there, crunching the numbers and making sure everything lines up and delivering on your value. And there's not much time to build as much of the relationship. But yeah. if you were, let's say, starting from ground zero here to build out and say, like, okay, I want to end up there in the VC world. I want to end up in the tech world. That's where the action is. I need to build that network because that's the feedback I'm getting. Yeah. What was different about Mateo approaching you and then talk about Mateo's background a little bit he's a really serious guy where he was like yeah you know what I'm going to make this guy one of the most important guys at my company coming from Goldman whereas other guys were like yeah who do you know what's your pitch and eh, I, don't, I don't really know where it makes sense yeah well I mean I don't think I mean I, I think I think it's because when when you when you operate a business you're looking for that untapped talent and you're looking for a different skill set like I think I think the VC skill set is like like we were talking about, I think it's a lot of Rolodex. I think it's a lot of identifying things in startups that you've seen consistently over and over to be the characteristics of a successful startup. Mm. And it's hard to prove that you know those things if you haven't worked at a startup or if you haven't been a VC. So how did you do that? I think, what do you mean? How did you prove that then? Oh, no, I didn't. Um, I'm saying that's why I, I, I thought it was going to be really hard uh, to become a VC. Got it. Because I couldn't prove it. And I could have tried really hard yeah. by, you know, practicing and studying and and all this stuff. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't have felt very good about it because, I mean, what I what I found in finance, and, I mean, it's 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 particularly true – with um with investment banking is the way that you get really good at investment banking is is see as many deals as possible reps you know get as many reps as possible see as many deals work on as many deals build as many models as you humanly can that's technically not different than it would be in vc though just exactly to, okay got it exactly the point i'm trying to make which is in vc it's the same thing if you want to get really good at being a vc the way that you do that is the best way to do it is through reps. You see as many deals as possible, talk to as many founders as possible, talk to as many other VCs as possible, build as many models on those companies as you can. Um, you know, talk about the risks and the the benefits and the you know the things that you see, the vision of the founder. You know, when when it's an early stage, all of these things are things you need to do constantly to prove that you can actually hang mm -hmm. and it's hard to replicate those things in a in a non-experiential environment uh it's almost impossible um it's it's doable because i think you know there are plenty of people that i know that went from finance directly to vc um but they they i mean they they worked their ass off to do it like you know they they studied they 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 like created these mock cases where they pretended to be a VC and they basically went through and said, look at all these deals, like which of these deals were good deals, bad deals. They, they tried to like, 
you know, research videos of the founder to like figure out if he was like a, a good founder. You know, it, it's really tough if you're not like going out there and doing the work. Um, on the operating side, what you really just need, and this is no discount to operating, it's actually really hard to operate, but you just need a, a voracious work ethic, a an ability to identify and solve problems and execute things quickly. Yeah. And you just need to be able to to work your ass off and 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 grind it out. Um all things that you had to demonstrate yeah. in your last job yeah. inside. Exactly. Now. Exactly. So with that said, I mean I I think there was a gamble taken on me for sure. And I think all the things that I just mentioned were qualities that that were seen. I think the caveat was, all right, well, now that you're here, you got to learn what this shit is all about. You got to learn what tech is all about. You got to learn what the startup space is all about. So it's been a lot of the, a lot of the focus, um, you know, aside from obviously grinding it out yeah, every week, yeah. but a lot of the focus has been, all right, like let's, let's, let's build the network. Let's learn more about how the, how this, this thing works. Um, let's read, you mm -hmm. know, um, and let's talk to as many people as we can. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, it goes a long way, um, to, you know, talk to other people in similar experiences. It's like anything um, else. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and I, th I think that's just basically, how I got to where I am right now. Now, what attracted you to this project, though? I, I shouldn't even call it a project to this company. I mean, did, how how long have they been around now? Eight Sleep. Uh, been around since uh, twenty fifteen, five years. So a while. And Matteo yeah. previously started and scaled and sold some companies. Yeah, right? yeah. And he what, he what, was in what companies? He was in alternative energy for a while, um, and he was a lawyer. So mm. it's a different from completely different from this business yeah honestly some of the biggest killers i've run into are guys who have that jd and then yeah. if they practice too and then bring that and have that they got that thing yeah. they got that business acumen they got that you pointed out a couple minutes ago but it's so true and you could say this about it's it's the number one soft slash hard slash everything type skill in the world which is problem solving yeah what who am i trying to serve what do they want and how am I going to give it to them? And how am I going to do it where I don't just listen to the words they say? I think I listen to the things that aren't the words, but are behind what the words are, where they're coming from. Yeah. You know, and this guy, I mean, he's not old, right? How old is Mateo? No, uh, I mean, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's not, I think he's in his late thirties. Yeah. Honest, so he's, he's done this at a young age, Yeah. but this, this company in particularly what's the we we touched on it earlier but what's some of the maybe in what's going to be the last podcast i forget i'm losing track of all this it's like it's seven it's seven fifteen. we've been going since like twelve forty-five. <laughs> anyway um what is the what what's the premise here what's the product yeah and and what was the where did it start how did it get here like yeah, what, did yeah. you start with a bed fill yeah. me in on that so so basically i mean it started from and and I don't know the 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 exact story, but what I do know is, um, you know, Mateo's always been concerned about sleep from a, a personal standpoint. 
he never was a good sleeper. Mm. Um, and the idea came about um, that, um, you know, sleep improvement was an area that that really hasn't been touched by the current mattress industry. It's kind of, um, I mean, the current mattress industry is is kind of, you know, prehistoric. They're not technologically um, yeah. innovative at all. Yeah. And yeah. when you look at some of the companies that are, that are out there doing innovative things in, or that say that they're doing innovative things in sleep, like Casper. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. I mean, the the whole story there is fake. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still selling you a dumb piece of foam to sleep on. There's no technology how they, how there. They, how do they get away with that? Because they they flaunt, they try to flaunt like technology. They yeah, they they try to talk about technology. I mean, they were the first company to do the bed in a box, really. On a bigger scale. By the way, for context, when we say technology with beds, yeah. let's just fill people in who are listening like, what the fuck? It's a mattress. Yeah. What, what do you mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that goes to what we're doing, yeah. which is, um, you know, what what Eight Sleep provides is the ability to improve your sleep through technology with a technology-enabled mattress. Uh, you can go on the website, 8sleep.com, and you can see our hero product. It's called The Pod. Mm-hmm. And the, what the pod allows you to do is thermoregulate yourself through the night automatically um, based on your biometrics. English. So, uh, yeah, to, to, to put it in, in plain English, change the temperature that you sleep at based on your sleep habits and your health metrics. God, I hope you say it like that when you guys are marketing this. Yeah. I know it sounds like real. This is where sometimes they get lost in the weeds. Like, just as a common man over here, I know it sounds really cool when you say the thermodynamic adjustment or whatever. But when you just say it like that, like, yeah, man, you're going to improve your sleep. The temperature's going to be great. You're going to be comfortable as fuck. Like, people are like, all right, I buy that. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, the the point is, the the real mission is is twofold. It's It's how do you take the average eight hour night of sleep and get the same quality sleep within six hours. Mm. That's the long-term vision. And then the other long-term vision piece is what if going to sleep was more valuable for your, for your health uh, than going to your doctor for a checkup? Um, and so, so th- those are the real long-term visions, right? And the way that we're accomplishing those are through one, Optimizing and controlling all aspects of, of the bed, the the environment, the sleep environment, so to speak. So, right now we're doing temperature, but in the future we have plans to to optimize and regulate all aspects of the environment when you sleep. Um, and and that, I mean that spans a whole b- bunch of different things: oxygen level, smell, um, firmness, um, you know, temperature of the air, not just temperature of the bed, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff. And then there's another aspect of, of it, which is um, health tracking, which we've started doing as well with the pod. If you get the pod right now, it tracks your HRV, it tracks your resting heart rate. And your HRV is, by the way, for people that don't know, heart rate variability. And what heart rate variability measures uh, in, in the simplest terms is um, how recovered are you? So when you went to sleep, you know, there, there are periods of, of high... Uh, heart rate activity, periods of low heart rate activity. If there's a big delta between that, it means you're, you're well-rested and well-recovered. If your HRV is low, meaning there's, a, there's less variation between the highs and lows of your heart rate at night, it means that you, you probably worked out the day before very hard, 
or you probably had a little bit too much to drink, or you probably didn't sleep enough, but it indicates a, a lower level of recovery. So does it gamify, because it measures all this, it's tied into an app so that people can track this. Does it essentially then give people a simple standard way to gamify how their sleep is improving or going the wrong direction over time? Is that the value prop here? Yeah, so it does. So it, it basically, uh, it dishes you insights. So it tells you how you're doing well um, and how you're, you can improve. Um, but I think the, and, and it, it's, it's really in a basic form now, the insights, where we're surfacing you sort of this high-level data about your, your sleep. I think where we want to get to in the future is really create the ability for the, the tracking to predict things about your health. Mm. Um, so, you know, do you have sleep apnea? Um, that was my next do you, question. Do you snore? So it can, um, it can determine that. So our technology, our technology can determine it. We have not built the capability to surface that to the user. It's part of you know future iterations of the product, future versions of the product. Now, as, as we it, know, we can do it though. Okay, that was going to be my question. So you're that's already certain. Like yeah, you're, okay. we're we're actually in the middle of some clinical studies right now, um, and I won't get into the specifics there. Mm -hmm. But um, they are studies around what we can and can't detect with our technology, and and one of those things is is sleep apnea. So. Well, here, here's maybe a stupid question, but I got to ask it just because this is so out there. You know, yeah. it's literally what you sleep on at night. And this is, I've never heard of anything like this with a mattress. Is there anything that's like regulated, like what you're allowed to do versus what you're not allowed to do? Uh, with regards to what, the technology? Yeah, because like people, everyone sleeps on a mattress. Oh, yeah. You know um, what I mean? Yeah, I mean. Like, are there any potential health downsides that... I don't know who the hell will get involved here, but the, the government's like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah, no, def definitely not. I think Good. Okay. the, and, and in terms of emissions and things like that, I mean, we're completely compliant and all that stuff. So I think it can only help. It really can't hurt. The, you know, temperature regulation is, I mean, if you, if you read some of the sleep literature out there, like the, the sleep science, for example, Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep, which is a great book. Um, probably like the Bible in the sleep science world of like the primer of what people should look for when they, when they talk about sleep. He mentions that thermoregulation is probably the most important uh, thing that you can, you can do to improve sleep. Mm. And uh, sleep improvement is really seen in a couple of different vectors. There's uh, really sleep onset. So how long does it take you to fall asleep? Mm. Two, staying asleep. So are you able to sleep through the night? And then three, which is similar to two, but it's a slightly different, um, is how often are you interrupted during the night um, You know, from your sleep? It's different than two. Two is more waking up in the middle of the night because you can't fall asleep. Three is more... I toss and turn during the night. I'm constantly be my sleep is constantly interrupted. How deep is your sleep? Yeah, exactly. How restful is mm -hmm. your sleep? Um, and so when 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 you look at the sleep science, what it says is that thermoregulation can improve all of those three things. And I won't get into the exact numbers because I I actually don't know them off the top of my head from from the book, but. 
Matthew Walker, the author, lays out clearly in the book the, the figures in terms of improvement from using temperature regulation to uh, at, at sort of these different stages during the night um, to improve sleep. Mm. And there, there's, there's a, a concept here that is, is really what governs this principle, and it's called thermoneutrality. And it, it means that your body is in a, a, a neutral state of temperature through the night. The reason why this concept is important is because our bodies, your body, my body, anyone's body, does not stay at a consistent temperature through the night. Our circadian rhythm actually changes, um, or sorry, rather our temperature changes based on our circadian rhythm through the night. So when, you know, the, the temperature that your body is at, at midnight, will be drastically different than the temperature your body is at internally at 4 a.m. Or at Why 6 is that? It's, it's helping your body to prepare you for sleep. So basically, I'll, I'll explain it a little bit. When, yeah. when you begin your, your sleep, right? When you, when you go to sleep, you, your body gets colder. And that's to facilitate what's, what's called deep sleep, which is, which is a, a state of sleep that is, uh, I mean, it's, it's deep sleep. Um, um, so that's why we, most of us, most people I talk to, we naturally like, like we prefer having a cold room to sleep in as humans more likely than having a hot room to sleep in. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then what happens is as you, and that, and that facilitates you basically staying asleep. Mm. And then as the night progresses, your body starts to prepare you to wake up. And so it actually warms you. Uh, so the, it's almost like a, like a. Uh, like a U curve, in a sense. You start here in terms of temperature, then your temperature drops, and then through the night, it goes drastically back. Uh, dramatically, no, not dramatically. Over time, it goes starts to go back up. Yeah, so for people listening, it's exactly what it sounds like. Just picture a U. Like yeah. that, that's what's happening. Yeah, so because that's the way that your body's circadian rhythm works, and that's the way that, that, that temperature changes based on it, there's no one temperature that we as humans are comfortable at all through the night. That's the one problem. And the second problem is if you have a dumb mattress, you're basically sleeping on a piece of foam that's just going to get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter all night long without any way to dissipate that heat. And what's going to happen is you're going to have problems falling asleep and you're going to have problems staying asleep because mm. you're not going to cool yourself enough to get into a state of deep sleep. So that's the immediate sort of scientific backing behind why thermoregulation is so important. And the pod, just to be clear, so now I understand all that, but yeah. the pod functions in a way that it affects the temperature of the mattress and therefore the temperature of your body at all times to match this exactly. circadian rhythm. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, okay, exactly. Got it. And so most people, when they use the product... They, they start off, um, at, at least this is my experience. I won't speak for everyone because everyone's different in this mm-hmm. regard as well, which is important. I mean, personalization in this, in this sense is also very important. Um, but I start off very cold at night. And, and by the way, you can manually control the temperature of the bed as well. Um, but most people do the smart temperature, which is what I'm describing, which is you set it and you forget it. 
mm. and, it, and it works sort of based on your preferences, based on how your circadian rhythm works. Is this but, like a thirty thousand dollar mattress? <laughs> no, it's 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 three thousand. What? Three zero zero. Is it yeah. a twin bed? No, no. The so three three Ks for the queen, thirty five hundreds for the king. Um, how? Yeah. Like how, how the fuck does that make sense? I mean, you're, you're describing a robot to me. Yeah, you tell I mean, me look, I can get a the, robot I sleep on for thirty five hundred and get a king bed. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 part of what makes us so special as a company. We can provide this in a way that nobody else can, in a way that really works for people, and it's generally accessible. Uh, I mean, if I hadn't been working at Eight Sleep and I found this thing, I'd buy it. Because it's, it's it's accessible to the average person, and and by average I mean the average sort of upper middle class person, um, wow. not not sort of the average American, uh, but but you know it's it's an accessible product, um, and you know what a lot of people do is they elect to pay through financing, so they pay you know fifty dollars sixty dollars a month. Oh wow! Doesn't, you you doesn't, offer that? Yeah, it doesn't break the bank, um, and you pay for three years. And the thing is yours, and you use it for another five. I think about this. It, it's such a, it's mind blowing to me, because what's the most important thing in most people's lives that they use on a daily basis? Their phone. Their mm-hmm. phone is where their contacts are. It's where their connection to the internet is. It gets them from point A to point B. Yeah. They answer it. They talk to people. Human connection. They check the time on there. You know, I still wear a watch just to wear it. I, mm-hmm. I don't think the time on there is right. You know, but. When you also then consider, okay, what's what's the next most important thing? Putting like a Wi-Fi connection aside or something like that. Yeah. Uh, maybe even more important is what you sleep on. Yeah. And I, I like I'm I'm also it's I have to take my own lumps on this because I'm one of those guys like, you know, I grew up with big families on both sides. I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll sleep on the floor. Like I never cared, and it was probably stupid. I probably took a couple years off my life, like just sleeping mm-hmm. wherever. But when we don't. Like you kind of know when you only got like four or five hours of good sleep. You're, yeah. you're just not that same guy. Yeah. It, like last night, I I slept pretty well. Yeah. Shockingly, because I ate like shit yesterday. Mm-hmm. But I woke up today. I legitimately felt like I had like seven and a half hours, and it made a big difference. Mm-hmm. And I got your basic ass mattress. Yeah. But what you're describing to me, and this this is the beauty of what technology does. Technology more than anything is a time saver. When the first technology happened where the caveman invented a wheel. Mm-hmm. It saved time to be able to move products around because they could roll it instead of using their own brute strength and then having to put it down and stop and get there slower from point A to point B. Yep. When you're talking about sleep right now, you're talking about taking the quality of eight hours and moving it into six, which frees you up for two more hours during the day, which I got to tell you, like, I was I was texting back and forth with one guy who's like a huge VC, like, hustler the other yeah. night. And, you know, he knows the grind just like you. And he was touting, he's like, I make sure I get eight, eight hours every night. Yeah, and and like, I see all this guy does, and I'm like, imagine if he had two more. Yeah, well, I mean, it's exactly what I was going to say. We talk to, so on a pretty pretty regular basis in terms of like the, like on the growth side of things, on the marketing side, we we talk to athletes all the time. And we, mm. um, we have this series, and I, I encourage people to check it out at, at blog.8sleep.com. But it's a series where Matteo, our founder, he interviews influential people in tech, in uh, sports, in 
you know, a bunch of different verticals about the things that they do for their health, right, to, to stay fit. And one question that he always asks is, what's the, the biggest health hack that you do? Um, you know, what, what's the biggest thing that you do for your health that gives you an edge, that gives you a performance boost above and beyond what, you know, competitors are doing? And I'd say probably we've done, we've, I think we've put out maybe five or six of these interviews right now, but we talked to a lot, we, we've, we've filmed a lot more. Who's like the biggest name um, you talk to? Are you allowed to say if it's unreleased or? We, I'd say check them out. Ch okay. Check them out. Okay. Um, a good hedge. I respect but, that. But 99% um, of them say sleep mm. as their biggest performance hack. And I mean, it's funny because I'm always the guy who doesn't sleep enough. Mm -hmm. um, but I can tell that the quality of my sleep has improved from using the product. And have you um, been using it like literally since you started there? Yeah. That's awesome. So you're getting high on your yeah, own supply. Exactly. Now, like dead ass though. Mm -hmm. It works. I mean, it really depends what you're looking for. Like, are you looking for... For you, though. For me, it works. Yeah. Um, I had horrible issues with sleep. but I had a love-hate relationship with it where I wasn't getting enough. I also sleep really warm. So I was a person that was consistently night sweats, waking up in the middle of the night. How much? How much clothes do I wear? How much blanket do I use? You know a lot of issues with sleep. Um, this has cured all of those issues. I, I've not sweat the bed once since having the product. Um, I still probably don't get a good night's sleep. I, I, I mean, I probably still don't get a good amount of sleep in a night. Do you track it but, consistently based yeah. on the metrics you guys use? Yeah, for and sure. Have you seen improvement with But that? I've seen improvement. That's good. For sure. Um, and I mean, the quality of sleep, because I don't wake up anymore from the the temperature issues that I had. I mean, it's like night and day. Um, no, I, I would be really curious about it because I, I have felt, I love my mattress. Like it, it's very comfortable, but I struggle with temperature a lot. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> you'll love this one. But you remember, uh, I, I went to college with Alex. He was he was a year younger than me, or Horo, as, I, as you've heard me call him. But you remember senior year at the deli, mm -hmm. which was the name of our downtown house for people listening? And me and five of the other guys lived in, how the oil tank kept on emptying. Yeah. And we went to college. It was the middle of fucking nowhere, Pennsylvania. It was the coldest winter on record that year. Yep. And by the end of November, we realized, like, we were all poor college kids. Like, we realized, shit, we're just going to have to bite the bullet and not really have the heat on. So I lived up in the attic, which was a sick room because it took up, like, the whole top of the house. Like, everyone, yep. we always brought everyone up there. I loved it. But... <laughs> This was this house, by the way, later fell down about a year and a half later and had a huge lawsuit around it. Neither here nor there. But these were paper thin walls. The windows were like that thin. And I know because Mike Spears threw me through like two of them. Yeah. But um, we had to bite the bullet during this winter. And so my, my room was was regularly we would measure it. It was around like it would peak down at about 37 degrees at night. There was I, I realized probably by about March that I could get up. I like, and I had never done this before mm -hmm. at like 5 a.m., you know, have some coffee and read a little bit of a book and go to the gym before class. And I might have gone to bed at like six o'clock the night or at 11 o'clock the night before. I was getting the least amount of sleep on memory that, yeah. that I had, but I actually 
I would get like a lot of sleep. It was it was it was kind of crazy. And I never put two and two together. I always just made the joke about, you know, I slept in a 37 degree room for a lot of that winter, which was yeah. nuts. But maybe that had something to do with it. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a personal preference thing for a lot of people. And if you're someone who needs to sleep cold to sleep deep, I mean, it's very possible that you were getting restful sleep uh, from being that cold. It's very possible. Yeah. So when you, you said you met Mateo through like a connection where you just networked? Yeah, I, I, I knew a mutual, uh, a mutual connection between us that sort of led me to, to him. Um, it, was, uh, it was somebody that I knew through um, previous sort of business relationships. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So when you looked at this, did did you have any previous understanding of like sleep science at all? Or were you just kind of learning on the fly? Zero. And how fast did you make a decision to work there? As soon as I touched the product. Really? Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So was that like within a week or two or I went to the I went to the office for an interview and it was right before like my my like the last round of the interview. Um, like I, I had interviewed before and I was already like invested in the process, but obviously like I was still sort of weighing options and figuring things out and I get to the office and I remember this, the HR person comes up to me and we had an office on 26th street at the time, um, about a year ago. Manhattan. Yeah. Um, and she goes, Hey, like, you know what? I'm X person, HR rep here at the company um let me show you around and uh you know she starts showing me around and then uh she's like have you seen the product i'm like only on the website so i go over the product she's like here touch it and i she said put both put one hand on each side and i put my hands down and one side was extremely warm and the other side was glacier cold and I remember being like, holy shit, this thing works. Like, this is next level. Um, and from that point, I was sold. I was like, I, I mean, I have to work here. I, lo I love how the final decision came down to believing in, in what it is. Mm -hmm. Have there, I got to ask this, have there been any downsides to it, though? Have you had some things, I mean, as a company's coming up and you're improving the product, have has anything not worked the way you expected it to go? I mean, I think when you I think when you decide to work at a startup, you expect that things aren't going to work out the way that you think that they're going to work out. Um, but honestly, I think right now it's been a lot of learning. Um, I think the past year, it's really been about putting my head down, working, grinding, and and learning about how to really respond to this different, fast paced, and and exciting, frankly, environment. And I think. Um, there's a lot of unknowns. I think there's a lot of things that, that, as I said, we don't know that we don't know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm super excited for it. What, I, cause speaking with you over the past sub year or so, since you've been working there, you sound to me much happier mm -hmm. than you did in your years at Goldman. And when you went to Goldman, like you were the guy coming out, it was always like, Oh, Horo's a genius. Like he's the banker. Like like he's the guy who's gonna go in there and make the deals between the companies and tell them how it is. And so it, I always kind of like put you in that box. And then you ended up at Goldman on this 
hotshot team. I don't know how the hell you got that job, but great job. Um, and I was like, all right, he's good. And then I remember, like, I would come in. We'd usually meet at, like, Brookfield Place in the city back in the good old days pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And you, every time I came in there, you looked more and more, not tired, just, like, over it. Like, run down. Mm-hmm. And you were working 85, 90 hours yeah. a week for them. And you always knew so much. Like, you learned... You were involved in such crazy shit while you were there, but there wasn't, there wasn't like that spark with it. And it seems like, you know, when you first put out the feelers to me, like, hey, I'm I'm looking around and I'm thinking of, of going towards VC. I was like, yeah. oh, that's really interesting. Even Horo's leaving the bank right now. You know, looking at my own situation, and everything. Yeah, yeah. But it, that process didn't. You worked very hard. It didn't take like that long. You were working on it really roughly for what, like six months or so. Um, I would actually say closer to a year. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. There, so it did take there a while. Was, yeah. So there was another job that I was looking at that I'm actually in retrospect happy I didn't end up taking. Um, well, it wasn't my choice. They they rejected me <laughs> after the final round of interviews. In VC? Um, no, it was another operating company, but more on the research side of things. Got it. Um, but it, it wouldn't have let me do the the same scope of things that I'm doing now. Um, in terms of being more of a generalist. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it took about a year. And, you know, I think the reason why I was becoming a little bit um, dissatisfied with my position was just, it was a little bit of just me looking at things. And, and I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous because I'm I'm still super young, but it was, it was me looking at things and saying, you know, things aren't moving as fast as I, I really want them to move in wow. my career. Um, and, and, and things aren't like, I'm, I'm not where I think I, I should be. Um, and I mean, maybe in retrospect, I, I was, I was rushing things, but probably not. I mean, I, I ended up in an amazing place and I'm, I'm super happy, but I mean, that's just always been my personality. I'm, I'm, just You're always, driven. I'm always just super driven, and and I I never really, I'm never really satisfied. I am right now because I mean they're giving me a run for my money, and it's been great. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it boils down to a personality thing. I think I was getting, I was in a a, a place of complacency, and I I don't really thrive in in complacency. What do you mean complacency? How so? I was doing the same stuff and just sort of waiting for waiting waiting for more advancement like that's the thing with these big big corporations like you go and you work there and you know you're if you're a stellar performer you continue to to do great work but you still operate on their cadence of oh you got to wait x amount of years to get promoted oh you got to wait x amount of years to do this Oh, this mobility opportunity probably won't work for you. This one probably not either. Like you still operate in these bureaucratic like constraints, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so it was getting to the point where like I, I couldn't wait anymore. Like I was waiting for certain things to happen for me that I was trying to push, but they just weren't budging. How um, much of that like you talk about the corporation yeah. thing? And I can relate to this, and I've talked about this on this podcast, but how much of that was based on, even though, like, you were very high up, especially for someone your age, and the money wasn't the problem. I mean, you were making a lot of money and, and frankly, deserving it in every way mm-hmm. because you're spending, you spent your life there. Yeah. But 
there's still it's such a big organization it's the most historic bank in the world mm-hmm. and there's the chain of command and it's a big chain no matter yeah. how high it once it, really until you're like the coo it's a big chain and there's this guy that's got to talk to that girl that's got to talk to that guy mm-hmm. that's got to talk to that girl all the way up and how much of it was like you felt like like because as chief of staff as this company now you're empowered to make a lot of decisions and you're empowered to do a lot of things that that support the business where you can kind of think outside the box just based yeah. on what you've told me and correct me if i'm wrong but mm-hmm. how much of it was like man i'm constantly just i have an idea at goldman and it takes four months to see if i can even get like a slight yes or just a quick no i mean it was a lot of it was that i mean a lot of it were phrased slightly differently a lot of it was Oh, I'm ready to take on all this responsibility. Like, just let me have the authority to make certain decisions and have cert- a certain level of of, of accountability. Mm, but yeah. it was, I wasn't allowed to have those things in a quick enough pace. Like, I felt, I felt almost like held back. And it's not because I wasn't performing. Um, it was because, literally, in the the company, like handbook like i had to wait until that time in order to unlock that mm. like i literally like literally they they could have you know 1201 a.m the day that i was eligible they would have given it to me but i had to wait and there was no there was no you know the, the one thing about about the corporate environment is is precedent setting is is really hard oh my god that's so that's so perfect. You can't say it any better. Go ahead. And so that, I mean, that's what it was. It was, they, th- people are reluctant to go out of their way to set precedents for you. God forbid they have to go out on a limb. Mm-hmm. There's no, and, and it's unfortunate because you do see in politics now, there's the common refrain comes from both sides where, you know, they rail against the corporations and, and all that stuff. And it's a shame because corporations create a lot of jobs and there's a lot of good and they yep. do provide a lot of innovation. But when it gets to a certain size, the sausage factory aspect invades every single corporation there is. And it's why corporations die. Yeah. Eventually, like you you pointed out earlier, the way a lot of these things have, have survived and continued to find a way to grow to meet their quarterly nut is just buying ideas. Because mm-hmm. they can't, they don't even know where to start to invest in it themselves because they're so far removed. Like even, even a company like Facebook that's literally, you know, less than 15 years since the garage. Mm-hmm. They're so far removed from that. Like, yeah. they don't remember that world. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, I think, look, if you if you talk to a lot of people in tech, like, the tech world, like the VC world, right, they talk about Facebook and Microsoft and Google and all those big companies the same way that we're talking about these banks. They're places that you go when you get tired of the fast life um, and you want to sit back, coast, make some good money, get thrown a couple of shares here and there, and, you know, live live on live on chill mode. It's where you accept. Yeah. Live in complacency. That sort of thing is 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 something that a lot of people, frankly, in that world, they they sort of laugh at. Um, but at the same time, like the fast life and, 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 you know, moving quickly and working your ass off really quickly, uh, 
is not for everyone. And so for me, I understand wanting to work at a Facebook or a Google um, for a lot of people. It makes a lot of sense. And if I, if I wasn't as driven as I, as I am, <laughs> I would have probably loved to do that. And I probably, I probably would have stayed at Goldman. You make a lot of money doing it. Yeah. And, and, they, and they take care of you too. Yeah. Yeah, and it didn't seem to me, in, in all fairness, because, you know, some people take things the wrong way, so to give context, like, I'm sure, uh, just based on some conversations we had, and you don't have to provide context mm -hmm. to it, but um, I'm sure there were some things there, and some people have frustrated you, but you weren't this, you see this a lot, the disenfranchised, angry soldier at yeah. all. You know, you really did your job, you have a really, to me, a really good perspective on the worldview that that opened you up to mm -hmm. say nothing of, you know, you made good money while you were doing it. And it's a great sure. experience out of college. And I got to tell you, man, like, I know it was, I didn't realize it was a year. I'm sorry on that. I thought it was like, like a four to six no month thing. I, I didn't know that, but you know, you spending a year on top of all the work you were doing, trying to get to the VC. Yeah. There were a lot of guys that probably scoffed and said, nah, nah, you don't work here. Like, I don't even want to figure out how finance guy fits, yeah. but kudos to you because you were you were very clearly able to seamlessly leverage what you did there and take it into what you do now and you're doing it for all the right reasons and you're on the cutting edge and you're very aware of how that space now works and yeah. what what constitutes that level of comfortability and acceptance that you don't want you want mm -hmm. that chase yeah. you, you're constantly you're the kind of guy you'd sell three companies just consecutively and figure out where the fourth is at age 65. Like you really strike, maybe I'm wrong, but you really strike me that way. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I hope that's the way things go. Yeah. I hope I have enough gas left in the tank by 65. Uh, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm never going to stop. And if you ask me right now, what are, what am I going to, to do next? I mean, I'm, the thing about me is I'm focused on what I'm doing now. Mm, um, key. Uh, you know, I'm super, you know, heads down. And the company's doing very um, well, too. Yeah. You guys are really, yeah. Yeah, obviously, you can't go into numbers, but yeah, this, so, is, no, this is no joke. Yeah, so, so I, you know, I mean, if you asked me, you know, where do I see myself in five, ten years, I'd say, um, ask me in, like, two years. <laughs> I, have a, I have a lot of work to do before I can start thinking about it. Listen, man, I, you're an Iron Man for this. This kid, this kid rented a Tesla, classic Horo fashion. I'm, I'm like, yo, can you come down Friday? He's like, yeah, I'll come down Friday. Rents a Tesla, rides, rides down to South Jersey in style, the temporary home of the bunker here. Which, how do you like the bunker, by the way? I love it. Bunker's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it looks great. This is where this is where thoughts come to come to grow <laughs> and and get watered and and become great big trees from the seeds. But you know, you have blown me away all day today because we're gonna have like i said we just decided this on the fly we're gonna have two podcasts because we i think we recorded like six hours i'm gonna have to cut the first hour literally <laughs> but it, it just thank you so much for coming down i really miss seeing you i miss yeah. the new york guys i look forward to getting this thing back up there and absolutely look dude you know we talked about we touched on altucher and the seinfeld thing and and what the future of new york is i'll hit on this a million times it's the most important city in the world it's the most important city in this country the energy is going to come back and we're going to need people to do it like you and me and, and many, many, many other people in, mm -hmm. in the Gen Z and millennial age demographic. And, um, you know, I, I, I think 
I got a lot of hope. I think no mar- regardless of where the politics are right now, where the election pans out, I think we're going to come out of this pandemic and the world's going to be different. It already is. Mm-hmm. But this is America and, and some great things are going to happen. And, and when I talk to people like you, when I talk to people like Mitch and some of the other people I'm bringing in here, I remember just how many diverse, great minds there are who are interested in so much different shit that's going to help continue really the tradition that we've built this great country on. So... Thanks for being a part of that, man, and, and thanks for coming down here. I, I really, really appreciate it, and uh, obviously we're going to have you on again at some point. Yeah. Man, this I, has been amazing. I had a blast, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me. All right. Well, everybody, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory. This is Alexander Horowitz. Give it a thought. Give back to me. Peace. <laughs>